0: Welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The ensuing show will change, transform, and otherwise alter you.
1: Good luck.
2: Shh. Listen to this. This is the tape I found downstairs.
0: It has been a number of years since I began excavating the ruins of Kandar with a group
3: of my colleagues. Now my wife and I have retreated to a small cabin in the solitude of these mountains. I believe I have made a significant find in the Kandarian ruins, a volume of ancient Sumerian burial practices and funerary incantations. It is entitled Nachuran de Manto, roughly translated Book of the Dead. from the gnarled woods of Michigan to the sun-kissed skyline of L.A.
1: We are Halloweenies! You said I hope you understand when you read this letter that you're better
0: What do you say we have some champagne, huh, listeners? Uh, after all, we're podcasters, and uh, you're listeners. <laughs> At least last time I checked. Bum, 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 bum. Ah. Greetings, and welcome back to another episode of Halloweenies. I am one of your co-hosts, Justin, fake ship, Gerber, and we are packing up the Delta and heading to the woods once again for the first time. Once again for the first time? What sorcery is this, you ask? Nine, my friends. All will be revealed as we discuss in 1987's Evil Dead 2, Dead by Dawn. Now, the road Rami and his rambunctious sect took to get there. It's a complicated one, but not as complicated as the original, that's for sure. Um, and it was, but it was a little complicated to get it out into the world. And of course, you will give us time to get there. We will eventually discuss the actual movie, Evil Dead 2, <laughs> Dead by Dawn. But before we do all that, let's go around and discuss the first time that we saw this movie... And kind of like how we discussed what do we call Friday the 13th Part 3, let's talk about what we call this movie. So (laughs) let's start with the person who was not on our first episode. So so Dan, in addition to talking about Evil Dead 2, if you want to give your thoughts on Evil Dead as well, please do. And most importantly, though, when you are thinking about this movie or talking about this movie, in your mind's eye, do you see it as Evil Dead Roman numeral 2? Or do you see it as Evil Dead... Arabic numeral two, dead by dawn. Please introduce yourself and, and, and please speak. This is Dan Kanda yeah. Caffrey.
2: And <laughs> I think I picture just the regular integer. Is that, is that, wait, is that Arabic? They're just like the number two, not the, Rom, the Roman yeah, numeral would be the two pillars, right?
0: To, explain, yeah, like the number two that we usually just see in everyday life.
2: Yeah, it just as, the, as just, speaking people. <laughs> just the two like that with with no dead by dawn. Uh, mm. And the first time I saw this was, I, it, I weirdly saw Army of Darkness first, I think because it was PG-13, right? Uh, it's, it's definitely the least violent or the least gory of all of them. So I saw Army of Darkness shortly after it came out. And then one Christmas, if I, memory recalls, I was 14 and we were staying with my grandparents in Burlington, New Jersey. And my uncle, Scott, lived on the third floor and had a huge movie collection. And I'd never seen American Werewolf in London and I'd never seen Evil Dead 2. And so I would sleep up there at night and just like watch a different horror movie every night. And I remember I watched American Werewolf in London, which is great. And then we went to see my dad's friends and I was really excited to get back so I could watch Evil Dead 2. But my parents decided to sleep over at my dad's friends, and I love my dad's friends. But I remember being like, "Oh man, I really want to get back and watch Evil Dead too." And so I watched it the next day. And did you yeah. watch like
0: Forget Paris instead or something like that? <laughs> yeah,
2: they're like they're the I'm Crystal not, Collection. They're like, "Does anyone want to watch a movie?" I'm like, "Oh yeah, I love horror movies." Ah, uh, we have Forget Paris. Uh, we have um, My Giant. Um, we have, we yeah, <laughs> My Giant. We have um, Fools Rush In. If you want to watch that, yeah.
0: <laughs> the pallbearer. Not, not, not you know, Fools Rush In. Wow, the bear. Didn't yeah. somebody of note write that movie? What, Fool's Rush In? No, The Pallbearer. If somebody wants to investigate yes. that while Dan keeps talking, please it, yeah, somebody was look at that. that.
2: I, you know, I saw Fool's Rush In in theater as a kid with my family. I thought it was fun. It was like a fun romantic comedy, probably well, around that speak, same
0: time. Much like I asked you what do you think about when you think about Evil Dead, when, when you think about Fool's Rush In, do you think about UB-40 or do you think about Elvis Presley?
2: <laughs> oh, uh, Elvis Presley. Even though the I, song... I think about
0: UB40. I think about UB40. Really? Yeah. You know
2: why though? Because uh, my friends Ming and Cassidy got married. Uh, it was the first wedding I went to post being vaccinated. And mm. I played guitar at their wedding with my other friend, and we had we had to play um well it's called the song is I Can't Help Falling in Love With You. Not Full It's not called Fool's Rush. End, yeah,
0: right? yeah. But, but anyway. again, like in my mind's eye, because of UB Forty and, yeah. and the movie Sliver, I think about Fool's Rush. <laughs> uh,
3: or the record, uh not only was that song written for Honeymoon in Vegas. It was Matt Reeves that directed the pallbearer.
0: Directed Matt Reeves, the Paul there you go. of the
3: bat, of the Batman wow. fame. Yeah, there
0: the Batman you go. And, and and he um, wrote it.
3: He wrote it with Jason Cadams.
2: and War of the Planet of the Apes, which which I love. But uh, and Jason Katims yeah, so
0: went on to be the showrunner for Friday Night Lights. Indeed, so, good and job, good
2: everybody. team. I mean, hey, I've never seen the pallbearer. I mean, maybe it's good, but uh ah, yeah. doubt it. Yeah, <laughs> but I uh, yeah, I'll think of Elvis <laughs> because we played. And my friend Minghao sang that to his now husband Cassidy. And Minghao is this like. Very quiet, short dude. I mean, he's really funny. Oh, I but met him. You met Minghao, yeah. You met him. Yeah, he visited Chicago. You did. He. I'm not joking. Has like this amazing singing voice and can sound just like Elvis, like huge vibrato and everything. So it's always kind of like a showstopper if no one's ever heard him sing before. So we played. We played. uh I can't help falling in love with you, and he did like this Elvis thing. So it's it's got to be the Elvis version, not UB40 for me, unfortunately. Well, if his
0: husband was like, I thought you were gonna play the UB40 version. <laughs>
1: like where, where are
0: the trumpets? <laughs> Where's the bass line? Where's the electronic drums or, the, or the, like the eighties? Yes, yeah, drums. But Wait, uh, I should have asked. Dan. So, Dan, what do you think about Evil Dead Two? Though? <laughs> oh
2: yeah, oh, I, I, it's. I. Are we giving, I mean, I, I won't give my rating. I, I love it. Oh no, yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. Even about, rewatching it, it's been a minute since I've seen it. I, I rewatched uh, the first one last year for uh, that short-lived ASMR channel I had. I mean, it's not short-lived; it's still up there, but no, no episodes in a while. And rewatching Evil Dead Two, which I probably hadn't—it's been a minute—I was struck by how tonally unique it was. Mm-hmm. I feel like it really—I I feel like it's almost a cliche to say something is a horror comedy now, but I feel like it does both of those things so well. It feels like the movie where Bruce Campbell actually becomes Ash. To me, mm-hmm. as much as I love Evil Dead One, this almost feels like the the formula building of the of Army of Darkness, Ash versus Evil Dead, everything that comes after it. This almost feels like the linchpin of the Evil Dead universe. And I, and I just think the effects are magnificent. I, I I love it. And it's like so nonstop. It's ridiculous. 80 minutes of just wall to wall gags and the escalation is perfect. I love this movie. I it, I think it's my favorite of the whole Evil Dead series. So I'm excited Ooh. to be here.
0: And and your your thoughts on Evil Dead.
2: Oh, yeah, I love Evil Dead. I mean, Evil. it's funny because I almost feel like people remember Evil Dead is also being a horror comedy. And I don't think it is, actually. I think it's just a really grisly, straightforward horror movie. For some reason, the image that always pops into my mind when people say Evil Dead is the pencil in the ankle. And that just, it's one of the most unnerving sequences to me in all of horror history. I will say as much as I like Evil Dead, I don't think the characters are all that well-defined in it. It it definitely, it does have that student film aspect to it a little bit. So it's like a slight notch below Evil Dead 2. And I don't want to say in terms of Army and Darkness, because we haven't gotten to it and I haven't, I just haven't watched it in a while. And I, and I think it's the last one in the series I saw. So I feel, I feel like in a weird uh, way, evil dead, the first one kind of feels like the outlier to me. So I love it. I, don't get me wrong. It's, I mean, it's, and, and I feel like now too, after watching my, many more horror movies, since I've seen these films, you can really see the influence like evil dead too, especially from dust till dawn the whole time. I kept thinking like, Oh man, all these oh, absolutely. sequences from like the building of the chainsaw arm. That's like the weapons gathering montage and dust till dawn. And, you know, even the way the deadites look, look a lot like the vampires and then evil dead one, obviously with like the POV and everything. I, I actually wonder if as far as modern horror movies go, maybe not the ones being made today, but modern horror movies from like the nineties through the two thousands. I feel like the influence is so palpable from both of the first two evil dead movies. So yeah, I, I, I love them. I actually think we'll see as we go through, I wonder if this might be, even though Halloween's my favorite series, this might be like the strongest series we've covered so far. I don't know. We'll see how it stacks up against Scream because Scream was was is almost flawless in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I, I've even rewatching this one. I have very strong feelings in the affirmative. I should say, by the way, There's no, there, there there will not be a twist at the end of this episode where I'm like, actually, I don't like Evil Dead too. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I same here. It. And there is, I'll save it, but there is one little criticism I have of the movie.
2: Yeah, but I'll, I'll hold off on that. But it, so, but I mean, but for the most part, doesn't the and High Fidelity, isn't Jack Black like rave about Evil Dead 2? He, he keeps he talking about... about
3: the soundtrack.
2: Oh, just the oh, soundtrack?
0: The soundtrack.
3: <laughs> because the original in the book, it, they talk about Reservoir Dogs. And they switch it to Evil Dead 2 for the movie. And, and yes, it is a great score. But the scene doesn't really make sense if yeah, you the, I mean, know Evil Dead 2.
2: Yeah, I feel like the movie itself. Yeah, I, yeah exactly. That, that's like always what I remember is Jack Black like raving about it from that. So
0: well, I'll tell you, great. the person that's been speaking... Um who's been chiming in with notes on the pallbearer credits. And who just spoke in about the uh references made in High Fidelity. Uh, who is that? Who is who's chiming in here?
3: This is fake Mike Vanderbilt coming to you ah. from the south side of Chicago. Uh as I said on the last episode, I had read an article on Army Darkness in the summer of ninety-two in Fango and immediately tracked down Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2. And I was thinking, I was like, I imagine I rented them from either Village Video or Popcorn Video, and I feel like those were the two mom-and-pop stores around here, because Blockbuster sure, certainly didn't have it. But I feel like one was at one store, and one was at the other. Both stores didn't have both copies, but I could be wrong on that. Uh, but we didn't rent them at the same time. Remember, we got Evil Dead first. We loved it. We said, let's go get Evil Dead 2. We watched it at my neighbor's house, and I mean... To echo all of Dan's statements, I was an instant fan because I ended up purchasing a legit copy of it somewhere, like a previously viewed copy, mm. and just watched that movie incessantly leading up to Army of Darkness. because Army of Darkness came out that February then, and I think I watched at least once a week. I just was in love with it. It was Evil Dead 2 in my blood. I know that movie back and forth, but one of the most memorable screenings was probably about 2000. I saw a midnight screening of it, the music box uh, where me and my best friend Dan uh, Took a couple girls from the neighborhood we know And just had a fucking blast
0: Back in 2000, so this is probably around the time of Keeping the Faith Edward Norton movie um, Ben Stellar, Jenna Elfman
3: <laughs> uh, Was DePaul, When was the Paul Bear released?
0: <laughs> that was a couple of years earlier I like how I'm just keep referencing these like Milk toast mid-tier romantic comedies <laughs> yeah. The entire episode <laughs> As I, reference I, points of about what years we're talking about Pushing 10, I don't know, is that <laughs> I've seen 10, the, I yeah, saw Pushing 10. 10 at the show. <laughs> but Vanderbilt, sorry, Vanderbilt. Yeah. <laughs> e- Evil Dead 2, what, what do you what do you think of it as? What do you, how do you I, refer to it?
3: I think of the iconic poster with the Arabic numeral.
0: And, like that, including that, Dead by Dawn or just Evil Dead 2?
3: Uh, Dead by Dawn.
0: Dead by Dawn 2? All Dead right, interesting. Dawn. There you go. Could not
3: find All out right. who designed that poster, though. But I imagine it's to, somebody in the De Laurentiis camp.
0: I do believe, though, the eyes are Bruce Campbell's. I oh, are they me? really?
3: Oh, I can you know, I, weird. I can see that.
0: No, it's weird. I think they are. I think they are.
2: It almost reminds me of the Tales from the Crypt poster, the 70s Tales from the Crypt, which is the skull and yes. the eyes, and that's it. And in a weird way, I like how simple the poster is because, in a way, it doesn't really spoil much of the movie. Like, you're just no, like, okay, it's going to be a scary movie. Yeah. That
3: never happens in the movie. No, you never at
2: all. Even see a skull.
0: It's cool though. I do love the poster. It's funny because now I think about it. It's like the Tales from the Crypt poster was told to pose. And then when, they, when he was leaving, that was the Evil Dead 2 poster. <laughs> I right okay, thanks, everybody. Now, last but not least, we've got somebody here, my brother, to talk about his first experience with Evil Dead 2, which might be my first experience. We're going to find out shortly. And his name is?
1: This is Wolfman, Macronomicon, Gerber. And... Yeah, I think it is. We watched this together, Justin. I'm pretty positive we watched this together. We rented it. My the definitive name for me. I, I mean, it was the is the skull poster with the Evil Dead two, Dead by Dawn. Uh, that was the VHS at the at the local. Was it, it, it could have been first run. Could have been <laughs> blockbuster. Not sure which one we rented from. Probably first run video. Yeah, and we had watched uh, Evil Dead taped off TV. Correct. Had yep. we had we watched the VHS of that the, the unedited version by the time we watched Evil Dead Two?
0: Uh, yeah, I believe so. At this point, yeah.
1: So, you know, rolling into Evil Dead Two. Now, I'm a huge fan of Evil Dead, so it, and look, I love Evil Dead Two, but it took me a long time to come around to really love it as much as I do now. I think for a long time because I loved the first one, and as Dan said, the first one is just a you know drag out horror movie. It's just, it's it's unforgiving. It's not trying to be funny. I think that things that people find funny about it are the, you know, the student, uh, uh, aspect of, of the filming nature of, you know, well, this is what we had get to use your imagination folks. Uh, but ultimately going into evil dead two, I was not expecting it to be a, a comedy at all. So I was really not gelling with it. You know, I can, respect some of the creature effects and stuff like that. And I was like, Oh, that's, that's cool. That's cool. But it just seemingly kept being undercut by a a joke. And I didn't, I didn't like it really. I was like, this is not, this is not half as good as evil dead. Now, maybe someone told me (laughs) the trajectory of the series, you know, I think I knew army of darkness was supposed to be more of a comedy, but I just, I didn't, I just didn't think it was going to go that slapstick in the part two, but but yeah, you know, I've I've come around to really love it for what it is, knowing the trajectory and knowing that, it, you know, it was always going to become this like kind of ham version of, of the original. Yeah, I ended up really kind of loving it, but very confused by some p- parts of it. And then I only have one thing really about it that I don't like. And uh, I'm curious to see if, if it's what, one thing if it's what one Dan, thing. Dan thinks as well. But uh, well, if it's like Bruce Campbell, hate him,
2: sucks. Yeah.
1: yeah, Bruce yeah. Campbell sucks. No, it would ruin this. Oh God. How awful would that be? I actually know there's two things. One thing's just more of like a, no, eh, well, but there's one big thing that I, I just never, it's never sat well with me. Even, even now that I like the movie, I watch it and I'm like, this just doesn't work for me. But uh, yeah, I, I, I do really enjoy it. I'm really excited to talk about it and dive deep on it. Oh, and, and Dan, I also played that same song at uh, Chris's wedding.
2: <laughs> Wait, did you? Yeah. I was really drunk at Chris's wedding, so I probably don't <laughs> remember. Well, uh, it, was, um, uh, the it was during the, the ceremony, at the
1: beginning, pre-drinks. So uh, you must have been really. drunk. <laughs> so I was, I was because Chris, that. Chris's
2: dad was he. Chris's dad doesn't. There's our friend Chris, who uh, maybe some of you know. I don't know. He, um, Chris's dad doesn't drink, but he bought a bunch of drinks for us, and we had to take groomsmen photos at like noon, and so I was just drinking all day. Not like a. Not like. <laughs> <laughs> just throwing him back, but I mean, you know, noon to whenever the wedding started—that you know, that's that's a lot. This is true this to is the true. point where Chris's mom backstage <laughs> was like, pulled me aside, and was like, "Hey, like, I think you've had enough," kind of thing. Oh my god! Yeah, holy crap! Yeah, I wasn't, oh, I wasn't crazy. being distracted. You got cut off at being, a, you got cut off at a wedding. Yeah, man, I was just being sloppy. It wasn't, and that was like, before the wedding
0: really started. I mean, was, yeah, the ceremony so, had not even started yet. I I remember
2: actually playing guitar, but yeah, I didn't remember which song. So, uh, but now I know. And
1: speaking <laughs> speaking of Chris, uh, when we were in college, we always thought that. Uh, they should have made a musical version of My Best Friend's Wedding.
0: Ah, oh, another classic comedy from the I, 1990s. i I'm surprised 2000s. they haven't. I, I actually I think like that. My I best think it's wedding. actually in development yeah,
1: now. But for about twenty years, we had a great idea that we never saw through, and now we're missing <laughs> out on millions of dollars. I remember. But, I
0: remember when you two were and th- you told me the story, Mac, vividly. I mean, you said that when you guys were sitting down and when when um, Rupert Everett started busting out, I say a little prayer for you at the reception in the movie. I remember you and Chris said, "We got to make this." Gotta make this musical happen. Isn't that right?
1: Um yeah, but actually the it was yeah. not that scene. It was actually a scene much later on in the film when Cameron Diaz uh finds out finds them uh embracing and runs away, and then Dermot Dermot Mulrooney, right? Runs yeah, runs after her, and then Julia runs after him, and I thought this could be a great Musical, because they could run up and down the aisles of the,
0: of the theater. theater. No, I, like the, I like the breaking of the fourth theater. wall. I always love that. It's, it's like Tony and Tina's wedding, more like, you know, <laughs> this is a brand new take on that. Uh, Better material. Okay. For me, it's like, I think the three of you said, I, all I can think about is that poster that says Evil Dead 2, Dead by Dawn. It's kind of like, I know it's called Die Hard 2. But sorry, it's called Die Hard 2, Die Harder. You Die know? harder. Cause it's a poster. It's, it's right there. It's more than just a tagline to me. It's like part of the title forever. And even though the movie starts, it just says Evil Dead, Roman numeral 2. Yep. It doesn't say the whole thing. It doesn't have the, you know, the Arabic spelling of it. It just says that, but I, I cannot see it. I too.
1: I can see I it the other way. too, though. Yeah.
3: It's, it, see it seems like it's a subtitle, but it also kind of acts like
0: a tagline. Exactly. That's the confusing thing about it.
1: I think it's a tagline that's now become the, t- <laughs> become the title. Because it's well, just you know, so the original anonymous.
0: title of this was called Live, Die, Repeat. Um, I'm kidding. That's a little uh, <laughs> Edge of Tomorrow marketing nightmare. I'm and
3: it has a separate tagline and no subtitle overseas, which we'll talk about later.
0: Oh. Uh, uh, I'm looking forward to hearing about that later on, too. Now, I have a vivid memory of this because I loved The Evil Dead when we watched it on USA and rented it and everything else. And so then... We went to. It was First Run Video, which was a, an independent video store owned by Mike Golick. Some of you may know now who who was a famous football player who retired, moved to Orlando, opened up this independent video store. But then later on, found a lot more fame uh, as part of the Mike and Mike radio show for ESPN. By the way, anyway, long story short, and I remember it was pouring down rain. I was in eighth grade. I would ride my bike to school, pouring down rain. So after school ended, I, I biked to First Run, got the video. You know, I, I had permission to check it out, something along those lines because I was too young at the time. And I remember going home. And I'm pretty sure Mac, we watched it together with you, me, and Ted. I'm sure. And yeah, it was a very similar thing where I thought it was good, but I was not expecting it to not be this uber horror movie like the first one was. So it was jarring in that regard. As a matter of fact, folks, we're gonna have a whole episode on similar movies later this month because we're going to do a, a special on horror movies, sequels that flip the script. We'll be talking, I'm sure, a little bit about Evil Dead 2, but some other horror sequels that kind of uh, changed trajectory and changed how people might have viewed the series based on the previous one. A so, little mini-plug to get you to whet your appetites. What can I say in that regard? But my feelings for the movie have only um, strengthened over time. Especially, like, I think you, somebody said it earlier, but uh, when we think about Evil Dead now, we don't necessarily think about the hardcore horror of that first one, necessarily, even though I do love the first one, arguably the most. We do think about the more humorous elements of it all over the last 35 years, really, with the two movies that came after that, the video games, the TV series, the comic books. So it, it just became that tone, ultimately. And I think that's why I've, I've really softened and, and become... An enormous fan of it over the years, especially the, the technique, which we'll get into later on. But anyway, I'm looking forward to talking about this, this entry 100%. But uh, before we do, I mean, uh, all right, you primitive screw listen up.
1: See this?
3: This is my boomstick! It's a 12-gauge double-barreled Remington, s top of the line. You can find this in the sporting goods department.
0: We have a little Evil Dead Rise news to talk about here, because while we, we talked about in the last episode, that's a wrap, as Michael Jackson once said in his, uh, what video, Liberian Girl, the music video? Liberian Girl, Liberian Girl. yeah. Great video. It's a wrap, everyone. That's a wrap, <laughs> a wrap. A wrap. So we know that that's ready to go. And now we've got a rating for it. And the rating is R, for strong bloody violence and gore. That's good news. Whoa. it was like, like PG thirteen? You know, in, in, I mean, Army is PG thirteen, but I once can, no, no Army
3: Darkness is R, but it I is contend. He's R. I could I contend, and we'll talk about this on the next episode. All right. That that should have been a PG thirteen, well, and it would yeah, a little, have changed. A little teaser. The they trajectory. tried their
0: very best to make a PG thirteen, yeah. but they did not win well, it on the end.
1: Also, they tried their best to make even a two an R rated <laughs> flick.
0: Didn't win. So there's some little update there. I'm sh- I feel like any. I feel like by the time we record our next episode, there will be a release date, I'm assuming, at, at that point. So, And we will, that will decide the rest of our year <laughs> in terms of scheduling. You know, it's a whole month based around that, basically. So I'm looking forward to finding that out mentally and, of course, spiritually. Um, but there's also news about another franchise we've covered in the past, like a franchise called Scream. Because Scream 6, by the time you hear this, will be out... In less than a year, that's going to be due out March thirty first, twenty twenty three, which is only fourteen months after Scream five. Now, to be fair, Scream two came out only a year after Scream, which is wild to think about. Now, the way that they do all movies. So, uh, but Tyler Gillette or Gillette, maybe I should have figured out the name of the uh, the co director of a major film of the franchise we covered for a year, but. Hard G, small, soft G, who knows? God bless them. Half of the radio silence team that directed Five Cream get on top, tells Empire Magazine, this movie has to be willing to risk it all in order to subvert all of those expectations. And we're so far down the rabbit hole of Scream movies that it's all up for grabs at this point. Before seeing Scream 2, I remember feeling like there was no more gas in the tank. They'd already driven it so hard. The challenge that Wes and Kevin were having and trying to live up to the expectations of the first film was playing out on screen. It was such a wonderful way to let the audience in. So I feel like they're going to really, I mean, they kind of hinted at this with the whole, you know, Billy's daughter subplot that was going on in that last movie. And by the sound of things, most of, the, most of that cast seems like it's coming back, by the way. They haven't confirmed it officially. seems like most of that cast is coming back. Cordy Cox apparently has seen the script, so she'll at least be coming back. So I do ask uh, do any of you have any ideas about where they could possibly go with this based on these uh these two excerpts from an interview I just read any wild uh, takes you want to take away from that Vanderbilt they're,
3: they're going to make stab eight
0: yeah, that was my theory too I mean
2: I don't think they actually will, but that that's <laughs> that'd be that, too
3: ballsy because but, I would love yeah.
2: it that's yeah. to me where it should go at this point It's funny because we've've we've talked about this offline on the text thread you know I am a little skeptical of the release date for the next one being so soon but then i think it was one of you guys justin or max said that they apparently had pitched a bunch of different sequel ideas to uh to the studio right like mm, yeah they I think they in want my to mind i'm like oh man to a new, they want to trust yeah, like, us to a
0: new team yeah
2: like for me it's like oh that's that's too short of a time to write a new movie and have it be as good as scream Five was and produce it but at the same time they've had so much time to plan all this out for all we over all we know they may have come to them with like a brand new trilogy idea so I would imagine they did just because that's how it works these days. Yeah, exactly. I mean, especially now more than ever. Yeah, with with world building and the mcu of everything. So uh, on on one hand, and I know we talked about this ad nauseum on the episode, I don't need the old characters to come back. At the same time, I don't know. They they did right in Scream 5. I I just, I'm going to trust that they're going to do the same thing now. Especially because, like you said, Scream 2 was such a so good when it shouldn't have been back then. I mean, the film landscape is very different, but I was, I was saying, I would make a stab movie. I'm just wondering still could
3: do that. Like, and if you're talking about the MCU of of it, you could put out a scream movie and a stab movie. Ooh, multiverse (laughs) and have them intersect in certain ways.
2: I will say with X and Pearl, I mean, that, which is a much smaller scale movie, obviously they're doing something. And I don't want to spoil X for anyone who hasn't seen it, but Regardless of one's feelings toward it, I actually do think the way the sequel is going to tie or the prequel is going to tie into X, I, I think, is pretty clever. Maybe it's something like that with Scream. The only, Honestly, for me, when we look at all the Scream movies, you know, one through five, they're all, you know, the first one is the first one. The second one is sequels. The third one is, a tri- is skewering trilogies. The fourth one is skewering. Yeah, the, the remake or the soft reboot or whatever you want to call it. Or or, or I, I get, right? I don't know. What was the fourth one? What would you say the fourth one I'm was? I'm still
0: not sure. I mean, it was like social oh, no, media. That was about but, the vapidity, the vapidness of social media. Yeah. The and,
2: and then the five, one, five I would say is, is both prestige horror and the requel idea. And so for me, I'm like, well, Six has to have something. It has to have some kind of satirical element. And I'm trying to think in the horror landscape what that would be right now. I mean, if I they really... It's,
1: I think it's, it's the, the plight we're talking about, the, the rushed sequel, you know? That like could be we've cool, got yeah. one, We've got to put one out every year. And a rushed that's sequel a rushed sequel. kind of what happened with the Stab movies, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Well, Mac, on that do note, that. it'd be
0: funny if they just had it, like, where, you know, because all these movies kind of have, like, a rhyme and reason for the people getting killed. Maybe this one, like, it, because it's so rushed, there is no rhyme or reason for the people being killed. And there's no good explanation when he's trying to say, hey, and somebody's next or somebody's going to die next. And, well, that and maybe could be it's just someone
1: too. genuinely off their rocker where there is no re- like they are just they're just killing to kill. There's no
2: it's not even a copycat thing. It's just it, it, it would be right. funny if it's actually just some random killer or maybe like several isolated incidents that they try and put the scream narrative on, you know, like, oh, well, it has to be this connect. And then you're like, yeah. it's like an affliction. Thing like the affliction or at like the end. It's like oh no! Scream
1: kills uh, using that as a way to guys like your own identity. Exactly, like, yeah. A serial killer. That's just. I, using I, it. I have a good
3: idea. Ghostface takes Manhattan.
0: <laughs> hey, let's go. <laughs> there is a good case that could be made where there are so many sequels made, especially in the last you know forty years, where the sequels literally have nothing to do with the original IP, but they just use that IP to get money. You know what I mean? So maybe you have it where Ghostface is killing people. But he's, there's no, the Ghostface has no knowledge of movies or anything like that. It's just to kill people and he's got the Ghostface thing already. So they could do maybe commentary Which on that too. would be interesting
1: because then you have this set of people so, you know, in debt to the original Scream films or the, or the original Stab films and now they have no tools, they have no rules, they have no way of guessing or figuring out who it is. I, I would actually kind of enjoy that, Justin. I think that'd be kind of interesting. Um, I don't know. You know, I really liked Scream 5, so 5 Cream, you know, until they do me wrong, I have total confidence that the next one will be entertaining at least, so we'll see.
0: We will see on March 31st, 2023, although I would hope that we get like an advanced screening of it like we did last time. Uh, hint, hint, by Glass and... Well, who else is going to be in charge of that distribution? Let's hook us hook us up again. Yeah, I just I really appreciate it.
3: It's so funny, like with you know press screenings and stuff. I never get the invites to the horror ones unless you know we make it happen. But I get yeah. every ding dong romantic comedy and Marvel <laughs> invite. And like, you guys obviously do not pay attention to my social media. I know, Come on, why aren't you reading funny. my Twitter? Right, but I still you'd get expect those three if, once if somebody in a while. would be paying attention to your social media, it'd be
0: publicists. I mean. We can get into publicists later on, but that's a whole other podcast. Am I right, folks? <laughs> I mean, these publicists inside baseball over here. It's going to be funny because next year, obviously, we're going to have – because I always think about the calendar now for our schedules. <laughs> like, how are we going to pad <laughs> this out? But next year, we're going to have you know, a, another screen movie in there in addition to whatever else we do. And so uh, – Halloween ends will have come out by then. So that yes, is Halloween that, that's- ends will be out this year, though. We'll be good with Halloween ends. That's going to be this year. I know. I know. Halloween End
2: certainly will be. Do you think Scream Six will be about the Ukraine or? <laughs> oh
0: yeah, that's that's what uh, Jimmy Karsa told us that <laughs> um, Halloween ends is actually about the Ukraine, not not Scream Six. So I'm looking forward to seeing the incredible commentary. I, oh, I,
3: I yes, uh, Laurie is kind of the Zelensky, and Michael Myers is kind of the Putin. With
0: <laughs> oh, that's what that's what that's what Jimmy Karsa has been saying. I'm kidding. She hasn't, but I wouldn't be surprised if she made some allusions to that. Trust me. The- Know what would be
2: great if this is what Scream Six was skewing? It won't be at all. But if they were making fun of directors and producers and whoever retroactively trying to say horror movies are socially relevant, I think that would actually be really funny. They won't. There is no way in hell they'll
0: do that. But I, I think that would actually like that that would would really take the piss out of Halloween Kills. (laughs) Yeah, that would be that would be quite good actually. We'll see what happens. But uh, you know what? We had a good time. I think it's time to kind of unwind, though. And what better place to unwind? in a small room in a cabin with one table and, I think, a bed. And, of course, that place is Professor Noby's study. The book served as a passageway to the evil worlds beyond. It was written long ago and the seas ran red with blood was this blood that was used to ink the book. Buckle up, folks, because it is time to dive into the history of the pre-production, production, and post-production of Evil Dead 2, Dead by Dawn. I'm calling it Dead by Dawn the rest of this episode. I, I'm, I'm claiming it as the title, and people can come up against me later on, but I got called call it Dead, Evil Dead 2, Dead by Dawn. Now, there are a number of reasons as to why we have an Evil Dead 2. But the major reason for this is found not in a Sam Raimi success story, but in a complete and total disaster of a Sam Raimi story. So after years of toiling away on the production and promotion for 1981, 1982, 1983's Evil Dead, writer-director Sam Raimi, producer Rob Tappert, and co-producer star Bruce Campbell produced 1985's Crime Wave which Sam Raimi co-wrote with none other than
1: the Coen's.
0: That's correct. And I'm not talking about Larry Cohen, Larry's brother.
1: Not Rob.
0: Not Rob Cohen, the future director. Roy Cohen. Roy Cohen. not the, not the, not the famous <laughs> lawyer, lawyer, not the famous lawyer from angels in America and real life. We're talking about the Cohen brothers, Joel and Ethan Cohen. And as we mentioned in our earlier episode, Evil Dead. Joel Cohen was assistant editor on The Evil Dead. So, something else important that I always forgot, by the time Crime Wave was going into production, the Coens were coming off of Blood Simple. So this being a follow-up to Blood Simple and The Evil Dead (laughs) was a pretty big deal for the real film nerds out there at the time, you know what I mean? So, Mac, I know you've been shopping at the bits. Before I go into the production nightmare of this movie... How do you think uh, *Crime Wave* turned out from what you saw?
1: It's a bit of a mess. It's one of those films where I I feel like if Sam Raimi had just wrote it and done it, it would have been good. And if the Coens had just wrote it and done it themselves, it would have been good. But the two just <laughs> doesn't quite mix. It's very strange. It's 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 as if it's kind of like if you watched like *Burn After Reading*, right? but dial it to like 20, you know, like it doesn't work in the atmosphere in which I feel like Ramy takes it. But it, I feel like the idea is fun and the idea is there and it's good. And you can definitely tell it's like, Oh, this is, this could have been a really good Coen Brothers movie. It's just very tonally strange and a lot of strange dubbing going on with uh, Paul Smith's character. <laughs> <laughs> really bizarre voice in that.
0: Paul Smith played uh, Bluto in Robert Altman's Popeye. And also the evil Turkish prison guard in Alan Parker's Midnight Express. And Gene Wilder's Haunted Honeymoon. I apologize. He didn't play the same character from Midnight Express uh, in Haunted Honeymoon. But <laughs> he's also in that. He's been in a bunch of stuff. Pieces, Vanderbilt's favorite.
3: I like Pieces.
0: Yeah. All right, let's so continue on. It's exactly,
3: Sorry, what, it's exactly what you think it is.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: And, you know, Breon James is the other villain in this, and it's all about, you know, mistaken, you know, this guy basically gets these murders pinned on him, and he's kind of just like this doofus. Um, it's The, the actors, uh, Reed, Bernie, he showed up a ton on House of Cards. You'd recognize him now. I, it, it was kind of weird seeing him in this role. And, you know, Bruce Campbell's in quite a bit of it, actually. I didn't realize he was mm. in as much of it as he is. And really hamming it up, really kind of setting the stage for, oh, I can see like the chops here, the comedic chops. Like I'm I want to see more of this. So it's kind of fun to see that kind of unfolding in the beginning. And then you get a lot of the Sam Raimi like camera work and stuff. But like it's just at first I was kind of really in and gripped and really like, okay, what's going on? Like the like I really wanted to like it, you know? And but then I just I just found myself like checking out at one point. Like, it's just, it's just so like in your face. and It feels loud long
3: and, for a short movie.
1: Yeah. It's, it's almost like Meet the Feebles, but I, I mean, I like Meet the Feebles, but like Dan knows what I'm talking about. No problem. But, like, I, love it, that. I love Meet the Feebles. Yeah, it's yeah. It's just like, it's constantly just dialed to 25. You yeah. Know, you're just like, oh, it's just like a lot. It's, it's exhausting.
2: Meet it's the exhausting. Feebles almost yeah, like exhausting. has no form. I mean, it's, I love it, but it's just
1: like, yes, it's like, but I agree. Almost, and they're yeah. really, there really isn't a solid form. Like it's just a bit all over the place. It was kind of a chore to watch. I watched it on Tubi with commercials. So it was even longer than
3: there's some good stuff. ZD. I feel like there's a good movie in there somewhere. Uh, and I, one I agree, thing I, I agree, the one thing I picked out was that whole end sequence on the truck. I think Raimi just rewrote that for dark man. Oh feel like.
1: yeah. So I it's can just totally like, you see that
0: the yeah. movie feels like an exercise
3: more than anything else. And of course, it was a troubled production, and
0: I, I'm looking forward to talking about. I got some notes on this production too. But um, <laughs> Caffrey, have you ever seen Crime Wave? Because for a long time, it was it was just unavailable to
2: see. No, I'll be totally honest because you know, from the first episode and seeing you guys talk about on text, I didn't know it was like the, it. Literally, the one Sam Raimi movie I I didn't know what it was. The only Sam Raimi movies I haven't seen or at least the only one I thought I hadn't seen was for love of the game. I'd seen everything else. And then I, just, I didn't even know, I didn't know crime wave existed. Um, so yeah, well, I might Sam check it out be grateful
0: for that. I think he hopes yeah, that most sure. people have forgotten that this movie. Well, it's,
2: it, and it is, is so weird that it happened after like, it's funny because the, not just Sam Raimi, Bruce Campbell, never everyone else involved with this movie. You would think after something like evil dead, the, it would be this rocket ride career, right? You do evil dead yeah. and then you're on your way up, but it really was kind of like this. And then, and the second one, it wasn't like it came out the next year after this, you know, it's it's funny to me that it was such this gradual ascent for all of all, for the Ramy brothers. And yeah, you know, evil dead almost feels like a false start
0: when you yeah, look yeah, exactly. at the
2: career in hindsight.
0: Yeah. It doesn't feel in some ways it feels like evil dead two is the first movie. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Because that leads to a big budget yes. movie in Darkman. One, and then and the career we'll, kind of goes on, you know?
2: We'll talk about later, too, even where the story goes. It can kind of feels like the first movie. It's, it, mm-hmm. it's really interesting. It, there aren't many other examples I can think of that are similar to that.
0: Well, it's funny because I think everybody thinks of Halloween as John Carpenter's first movie. And there, there are like two first movies before that. When you think about it, if you want to call it dark, dark star and, film or a student film. I love And there's still Precinct 13, which somehow came out a couple of years before that. Yeah, um, There's a couple examples of that, too. Uh, but we do need to talk about the history of this movie, though, because it is, it is a wild one. So though Rami, tell me, uh, hey, stop me Prefer this one before. So Rami was initially given creative control by the film studio. It was an embassy, not NBC, embassy. embassy. Uh, Avco pictures, embassy,
3: who we can discuss in depth on the prom night episode, I believe.
0: Who we usually have great affection for, but even they were kind of getting a little... Uh, Interfery, if I can make up a, a word here. Listen to this production hell. A lot of this comes from Bruce Campbell, by the way. Not for me, please. I don't, want, I don't want any lawsuits thrown my way. So I guess Louise Lasser, who's a really established actor at this point. She had been in a bunch of Woody Allen movies for uh, back in the 60s and 70s. She uh, was uh, having some uh, issues. We'll leave it at that. And she demanded to, like, do her own makeup. <laughs> Mac, you mentioned Breon. Is it Breon or is it Brian James, but it's just spelled B-R-I-O-N? I've always I, said Brian. I, I always thought I it was always, Brian.
1: I think it's Brian. I always said Breon because I just, you know, it's one of those things when, you spelling, know, yeah. have to you have to have a certain spelling because someone else has already called that in the, in the industry. I think it's because
0: the The producer John Bryan, yeah, it's spelled the same way. I and, think that's why I always pronounce it this way. Okay, and, gr- anyway.
1: and yeah, but growing up, yeah, I just was mispronouncing a lot of stars' names. Sorry, I apologize to the celebrities <laughs> I've mispronounced. Um, <laughs> I apologize
2: well, to the celebrities. <laughs> <laughs> you blanket, yeah.
3: To well, all the we've celebrities we've seen, we seen recently—they're
1: very, very sensitive human beings.
3: Celebrities are people too. Mac. It's true,
0: well, yeah. Mac. I don't
3: think you have just to like worry. us.
0: Well, I don't think you have to worry about Mr. James slapping you because he unfortunately passed away a few years ago. But on the set, he was, not on the set, but during production, he apparently tried to exorcise his hotel room. He thought it was possessed. (laughs) This is true stuff right here. Raimi, and once again, stop, you've heard this one before, for the career of Bruce Campbell, but Raimi wanted Campbell to be the star, but the studio refused. Who's the star? It's like they got, like, you know... Treat Williams a star in this or something like, like that. It, so, he's like he's deal? like a
3: low he's like a low rent um from Paper Moon. Why can't I remember his name? It was like Reed, Ryan O'Neill. Ryan O'Neal? O'Neil? Yeah, he's like he's like, he's like he's like, right. he's like dime store Ryan O'Neill.
0: Oh boy.
1: It's now look, it's Reed Bernie and it's bizarre, it's not like he was some huge star. He had only That's been in like I don't get four the, 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 things in the prior two years. And I I, I would say like he really does give a performance in it. It's not he's not he's not like awful or anything like that by any means. But knowing Bruce Campbell, it, I just feel like it would have been could have been a movie that he looked back on and didn't want to associate with.
0: It. Yeah, even stronger. Bruce Campbell would have been even more distancing himself from it. Uh, so then, of course, during post production, guess what happened? Embassy Pictures took away final cut they replaced composer joe Leduca's score with their own we talked about joe a lot in the evil dead episode we'll be talking about him later on in this episode uh i mean you name it it happened during the production of crime wave basically disappeared the budget was two and a half million dollars it grossed a little over five thousand dollars so I think it's a net loss of two million four hundred and what ninety-five thousand dollars or something like that. So uh and that's for a, a small oh. film studio, not for a major one either. Mac
1: in the trivia here it says Bruce Campbell commented that the film wasn't released, it escaped. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Very Brucey. I love man, Bruce Campbell is like the best one-liners both on yeah. screen
0: and off. That's pretty good stuff right there. So at this point, Ramey and company were basically in the mindset of Studios, studios. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as hell. as just a production of the evil dead was it was their movie. They did whatever they wanted to do with it and then put it out there and see what happens. Uh, so they felt that they had to kind of go back and do something on their own. And at the same
3: time, Erwin Shapiro, who got, who essentially got the evil dead into theaters, mm-hmm. he'd been placing ads into trades, which is one of my favorite things. I don't think you see it so much anymore. Uh, Canon was good for this. Despite a movie yep. not even being in production, they would be like, come up with Superman artwork 5. Yeah, and just put it in Variety and advertise it. And have you guys seen the trade ad for uh, Evil Dead 2, Evil Dead, and
0: the Army of Darkness? Yeah, it basically it's, looks like Army of Darkness.
3: It's fucking awesome. So Irwin Shapiro really liked Sam's concept of sending Ash back to medieval times, came up with the title Army of Darkness, took out these ads in the trade starting in '84. Uh, both Universal and Fox passed on this project.
0: And keep Universal in mind for later on, because they will Indeed. eventually re-enter the, the picture for this, this, uh, this film series for sure. Um, and here's some more information about how this movie ended up getting made, because he and, and Scott Spiegel and some of the other Evil Dead guys, they were kind of pitching ideas on their own about what an Evil Dead 2 could be Keep that in the back of your mind, but i got to tell you about this story first. This is also from this great interview that Sam Raimi gave back, I think, around the time of Ash vs. Evil Dead. He gave it to IGN about the history of the Evil Dead. So a lot of these excerpts are from that terrific interview. Please go online and find it. It's really, really good. Uh, he said that for Evil Dead 2, there was a woman who was going to be one of our assistant directors, and she was helping us prepare for reproduction. Finally had to say to her, we don't have the money. We're going to have to stop paying you until we can find the money for this thing. We're broke. He said, okay, well, I'm going to take this Stephen King movie. And by the way, folks, that movie was uh, maximum overdrive. (laughs) Okay. That Stephen King was making for Dino, Dino De Laurentiis. Laurentiis.
1: No, Dino's all over this. His
0: fingerprints are all over this
1: who
3: isn't probably uh, still in the producing stages on uh, Transformers or distributing stages on Transformers the movie?
0: Dan, he was like, yeah, he was "Oh yeah, like, that oh, would be around this time." Yeah, Steve, <laughs> Steven, I need to make sure that, uh, that was he fucking Dracula over here. I'm sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I don't, he's Steven, either like got to make sure that uh, Count Dino. He's I either gotta, like I Italian Dracula or
2: <laughs> Hollywood coked out nasal oh, flat God. voice. It's yeah, Bruce Campbell does the best,
3: Dino De Laurentiis. He does. Station.
0: He, did, he gave a good one for when I think Mike interviewed him a while back and gave a good one. Uh, but back to the interview within the interview I've been talking about, uh, Sam Remy said about this uh, would-be assistant director for Evil at 2. Uh, she, she told, Steve, sorry, I got lost with my Dina uh, imitation here. She went to get work on the movie and Stephen King so what have you been doing? And she said, "Oh, I was going to be an ad on Sam and Rob and Bruce's movie. They're trying to make Evil Dead Two, but they can't get the money for it. So I came down here." So once again, Vanderbilt, you can expand upon this if you want to. But Stephen King and well, Sam Raimi says he's never talked to, Stephen, to to Stephen King about this. But the rumor is he called Dino and said, "Dino, you've got to make these guys' movie." I so just, Sam Raimi said that they got a call and he sat them down in the big office and we're gonna make the movie. So Sam Raimi says Stephen King. That's twice he's come to my rescue.
3: I wonder if this is before or after he blinded that guy.
0: You blinded that guy. Who, Even, who are you talking you know, about who Dino? Stephen King. Oh, on set with the special effects. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Oh, god. I, th-
2: I thought you meant like Dino, like someone who owed him money on the street. Yeah, <laughs> like exactly. Easily, in his face or something. Get
0: to figure out a way to fund. Yeah, his uh, name, his, his the name was movie.
1: Harvey Dent.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's what, uh, it, it, that's, that's about all I have is that Stephen King kind of encouraged Dino to go get these guys the money to do this.
0: Pretty wild stuff, right there. It's pretty much how all Shapiro and King once again kind of guided this movie into existence. It's wild how those two guys have Shapiro's impact on just, two movies.
3: Yeah, and how, how much they just must have loved The Evil Dead especially yeah. this Aaron Shapiro guy who's been around forever. But I mean, that's why he was around forever because he saw something in that film that maybe everybody didn't see.
1: Yeah.
0: And for King, this is six years later. And to be fair, King is also in the throes of his own issues at that time, personally. <laughs> so for him to still be, have the wherewithal to even be like, Hey, let's help these people make a movie. Uh, it's pretty, it's pretty remarkable, but we do need to talk about the fact that if everything had gone according to plan, which you alluded to Vanderbilt. if They had the money we basically would have had Army of Darkness as the second entry. Uh, Rami had said, when we were starting to make the script for Evil Dead 2, I was thinking, well, he died at the end of the first film. (laughs) (laughs) What happened to him? So maybe that thing hit him, and I was thinking, I need some dramatic answer for that audience. Maybe that thing hit him and knocked him out of our consciousness and our dimension and into some time travel situation. That could be the answer. Why it's so dramatic at the end of Evil Dead One?
3: I think this just shows the genius of Sam Raimi that he was already thinking this big in nineteen eighty four eighty five.
0: Even even these small budget movies and shows he makes, there's still this grandiose, uh, there's this grandiose nature to them. Like there's bigger than life, it's larger than life, and not uh, even wondering the, how
3: was... can I do this, just yeah. saying, no, I could do this, I could make this happen.
0: Yeah, and so on that note, Vanderbilt, he said. So it started with me trying to answer that question. How can I make this movie and justify that plot twist to the audience? You know, the, the audience wanted an answer as to what happened. It better be something dramatic. So, yes, I wrote that. It was called Medieval Dead, which is still one of the greatest titles <laughs> of all time. I mean, that's an incredible oh. title. Uh, yeah, I, I just— that, wasn't it? I know. I'd I just written, like, a long story. And then Rob, Rob Tappert, said to me, Hey, Sam, guess what? We can't afford this thing. That costs like $10 million. We're probably only going to have 2 to $3 million. So I had to kind of scrap that and go back to the cabin, which is what we could afford, and really write Evil Dead 2 there. But I said, I'm doing this again, Rob. I'm getting him back in time at the end of this so that if we ever make another one, I can do that Medieval Dead story that I want to do. But I sent him back in time at the end. and I kept my fingers crossed that we would make the third one one day. But, folks, that is another story.
3: I love thinking about this alternate universe where either Evil Dead 2 is Army of Darkness or they mm. do a low budget Army of Darkness that has a little bit more of that. Like, uh, we were talking about, I think, off tech uh, with Rothman about that washed out, desaturated look that Sam Raimi puts on the film at the end of Evil Dead 2. Yeah. To see a maybe, you know, low budget take, a lower budget take on Army
0: of Darkness. It'd be like a kind of. Uh... Think about like the Conan, like the John Millius version of this, or something like that, from like the <laughs> early mid '80s. You know, yeah, it's like and, a
1: Ray Harryhausen flick.
0: Yeah, which is being which is teased throughout this, which we'll definitely talk about as well. So they basically they went off to go make Evil Dead Two. They did not go back to Tennessee. But for all you Stephen King, uh, for all the Losers Club members on this episode, where where do you think they went to go make this movie? I think about '80s Stephen King movies. Where were most of those Castle, made? Castle Rock? North in Carolina, life. North Carolina. They went to good old Wadesboro, North Carolina. You know, I, I've lived in North Carolina in several places. There are so many cities and towns in North Carolina. I have no idea where Wadesboro, North Carolina, is. It could be very close to where I used to live. I, know. I don't know. That's made up. Up. I mean it's, it's like up Woodsboro. Now. Yeah, <laughs> it does Wh- Wood- sound
2: Woodsboroish. It's Woodsboro's <laughs> older slacker brother,
0: Wadesboro. Wade, Wade. <laughs> Wade. <laughs> well, we'll if give him his own city. Wade we'll call Wadesboro. Uh, and by the way, not a surprise once again Because Dino De Laurentiis was based there at the time And like we, like I just said, a number of Stephen King movies were filmed there. But
3: the, I, I, they purposely set up the offices Just like three hours away from Dino De Laurentiis Because they didn't want him interfering in the production
0: Yeah, I guess he was a very uh, He had a lot of thoughts But it was usually best to just say Dino, we appreciate the thoughts, but we'd like the money <laughs> <You know laughs> what I mean? Which is the case, with honestly, with most producers
3: Even totally close, friends. but
0: not too close Keep them close. Keep them happy. But uh, keep them quiet. That's the real key there, I guess. And so, honestly, I was looking for a lot of notes on this, but compared to the real hellish production of the original, which ended up taking nearly as long to make as we took discussing it, (laughs) (laughs) compared to that movie and the aforementioned nightmarish production of Crime Wave, Evil Dead 2, Dead by Dawn, it was more or less a blood soaked cakewalk.
1: Impressive. I mean, a lot of
0: practical effects went into the creation. And, Mac, I know mean, you'll talk about that later on. I think we'll have, we'll have a lot to say in the special effects section for it's this particular impressive movie.
3: Impressive looking at the production of Evil Dead 2 versus the production of Evil Dead from mm-hmm. shooting in a real cabin to having a two floor set that they built in a gymnasium. And. Yeah. All the actors on Evil Dead 2 seemed like they, and cast and crew, just seemed like they had a great time, unlike Evil Dead, where people were walking off the set. Uh, Just impressively, like, and that's, what, this is, 86?
0: Yeah, they're making 86.
3: And uh, that's, what, six years after there's one? Like, to see how Sam Raimi improved.
0: Well, that's that's the incredible thing about this, is the fact that it wasn't like he had made a bunch of movies and came back to this you know, this isn't like a, a George Miller thing where he he did you know Mad Max Road Warrior and then decades later came back to Fury Road with a whole new vision on life, brand new experiences. It's been decades and decades. The only movie that Sam Raimi made in between The Evil Dead and Evil Dead Two was Crime Wave. It wasn't a like flop. Crime Wave was some special effects laden movie either. You know what I mean? So, completely
3: different in tone than yeah. The Evil Dead. But you kind of see like I think Evil Dead Two is kind of a perfect. Distillation of both of those movies, uh, and it, I think it's. I think it's a very personal movie for Sam Raimi in the sense that that's the movie he wants to make.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. You can see the passion comes through, and you can tell when you watch a Sam Raimi movie over the last 30, 40 years, which ones were true blue. I can't sleep, and I'm so excited to go make this movie. And which ones were kind of like, God, I could use you know ten million dollars. <laughs> and uh, maybe we'll talk about those later. In in our season, but something we need to talk about when it comes to the film, the evil dead. that is a storytelling technique that was used here. Quite jarring. I say it is quite jarring, not can be jarring because if you go into this movie, unaware of the history and you just push play like I did, I think Mac, I'm sure you were at that same viewing that I was at. It's very, very confusing. If you've seen the first movie, especially if you've recently seen the first movie, because all these questions appear. Why is Ash taking this girl to the same cabin from the first movie? And then wait, wait, didn't Ash die at the end of the first movie? Why does she have the same necklace that he gave Linda? Why doesn't he know what's going on? Well, long story short, Evil Dead, distributed by Newland Cinema. History we've gone into at least 85 times over the last five years of this podcast.
3: (laughs) And uh, Shapiro sold it to a bunch of people overseas. Like, countless distribution companies. I think they said 50. I think in the Evil Dead Companion they said 50, and they would have had to go back, because if they were going to distribute it overseas as well, they would have had to go back to all these 50 distribution companies, little podunk companies like Palace Video in the UK, and they just didn't
0: have the time to do it. But And that's including dentists who funded the movie as well. Yeah. So that's a whole other nightmare trying to get you know when dentists are loaning you money, folks, it can be a little dangerous proposition, you know what I mean? But I've seen you, Marathon Man. I know what happens. Am I right? It's safe?
3: <laughs> but did you read that they actually did shoot attempt to shoot an opening that recapped the original with Sam Raimi playing
0: Scotty? I read that and I and somebody posted apparent demon makeup for Sam Raimi as as Scotty, like a an actual mask made out. But I almost hesitated to bring it up in this episode because I could not find anything else about it. Anything else about it. And I didn't want to be like, oh, well, this is actually some head from some other movie that he was doing or from another movie. But I You're think what ended up happening was he really wanted to get to the plot of Evil Dead 2. You know, they didn't have the, and they didn't have the rights for the original footage, which, which is what I'm saying about the New Line Cinema versus the Renaissance Pictures production Evil Dead 2 was. So instead of cramming five people together in five minutes to be killed off, Raimi, Bill writer Scott Spiegel, boil it down. Just a couple of Ash and Linda. And it's wild because in my mind's eye, so much happens in terms of the re, uh, retelling of Evil Dead. But it really is only like the first six or seven minutes of the movie. And that's mm-hmm. when the, the the evil crashes through the cabin and slams into, into Ash. But, but Dan... When you first saw this, this must have been really strange for you though, because you said this was the second one you saw, right? You saw this before Evil Dead. Yeah, so I saw
2: Army of Darkness, but I saw Army of Darkness many like when when it came out, so it's probably Mm -hmm. eight or nine, and I didn't see this until I was 14. So and honestly, I think this is a a testament to the movie. The closest equivalent I can think of is Desperado and El Mariachi, where it's like Desperado is a is a direct sequel to El Mariachi, and the plot points actually do line up, but there's some confusing things like the guy who plays El Mariachi in the first movie plays a different character in Desperado and Antonio Banderas is him. And essentially Desperado is still hitting kind of the same plot points as El Mariachi, even though it's a sequel, it's almost like, Oh, this is how we would have made this if we had a ton of money. And so honestly watching it this time, because I hadn't seen the first one, I just assumed, well, I I didn't even know it was any kind of recap at all really, because you, they don't frame it like that. It probably works. Review. yeah well, it works yeah it just worked like a yeah. new movie to me because i had no idea what happened in the first evil dead i didn't even know that bruce campbell was in the first evil dead so for me it just seemed like it actually becomes more confusing when you see evil dead which is strange and th- and thinking to what you're saying justin about the rights issues and not being able to recycle the old footage he did want to try and get those actors back too right to shoot new footage but they couldn't afford it and that's funny to me like the sequel with the bigger budget couldn't afford to get the people from the student film. So yeah, for me, it gets more, it's, it's interesting because it gets more confusing the more, you know, about the first evil dead. And it's kind of the inverse of what we see, in like the Halloween timelines right now, where it gets more confusing as it goes along. Evil Dead actually get if you watch everything, it gets <laughs> like more clear as, as things yeah. go along and you get to Army of Darkness. Um, it gets simplified I, in a way. You know? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, no, I, I really had no, I, I, I just thought this was the movie. You know, I didn't know what really happened in the first one. It it is kind of ballsy because it, it, it didn't seem to bother them that much just to completely, they're kind of ahead of the curve of like ignoring storytelling from, from future horror where, films.
1: where were you though, when you watched the first one, did you feel really thrown off or had you done a little research and realized no, because oh, the, the fir- opening yeah. of this was actually supposed, you know,
2: the first one I want to say, I didn't, I don't remember the exact time I saw the first one. I want to say it was probably college or something. So I, I had like, you know, learned what what the deal was by that point it, it, correct me if i'm wrong in army of darkness isn't there a recap in the beginning of that too there is I'm, yeah and so i think Which because three, i saw
1: yeah yeah we'll yeah well, One that's that. funny too because army of darkness
2: yeah, sure. army of darkness i also didn't know i didn't know much about the og evil dead so seeing army of darkness when i was eight i just thought that's just how the movie is starting like okay this guy has all this history and so yeah maybe because i saw it so weirdly out of order and didn't know much about the context of evil dead just didn't bother me you know but yeah i think like if i was going to watch them back to back this time which i didn't do i watched the first one last year i think it would maybe be kind of unsatisfying <laughs> i mean i don't know cuz you guys have watched evil dead more rec- the first one more recently than well, i yeah. than so, i have
0: so mac what about your how did you feel though when you watched this for the very first time and how were you as thrown off as i was
1: well, we don't, you know, like we don't really talk through movies, especially if we haven't seen them, but I just remember <laughs> yeah. the entire first like seven minutes, we were like, what is he doing? Like, this is so stupid, like <laughs> just not understanding why they would do this. We, and then, I, you know, we I'm sure we, at some point we were just like, okay, now the movie starts. Okay, I guess they, maybe, they, I guess I, I, we had to realize, like, I guess they didn't have the rights or something like you know why else would they have made that's right this this weird opening um oh i've got some information on that scotty thing justin um, oh, which scotty uh,
0: thing was that oh about the uh sam Raimi possibly playing scotty for this version
1: yeah so there was a dummy scotty that was created by the special effects team when they were kicking around Having some of those characters still in the beginning, but then they abandoned the idea. So it okay, was so that is confirmed that art that that, that picture that's
0: out there is supposed to yeah. be Scotty. Okay, interesting. I just didn't know if that was something from something else that somebody claimed was supposed to be Scotty. So yeah, I knows.
1: haven't seen that picture, but I did what I in my reading I read that they had constructed a, a partial dummy of Scotty when they were originally toying with doing you know having more characters in the in the you know retelling, and then they ended up abandoning it. Let me ask you guys
2: a question because say they had done say they they did get either all those characters to come back and do that recap of the first one whether it was different mm-hmm. actors or whatever say they just really did like a faithful recap of the first movie in that first you know 5 to 7 minutes doesn't it still feel kind of like a remake to you though with like we get the trees eventually we get the thing in the in the cellar it's like even if they had gone with that it feels it feels like a bigger budget version a little bit of the first one even even with him getting Possessed, obviously, isn't do the hand and the chainsaw and all that, but like it it still feels kind of like, oh, this is what we wanted to do, even though I don't I don't think that was actually the case.
1: Yeah, I I agree. I think it's kind of. uh, There are beats in the movie where as it continues, where I'm like, oh, like, you know, like when Ash comes out of the mirror. Like maybe that's what they originally wanted to do, but they just didn't know how to do that, so they did the the water thing. Or whatever, which is still you know? a
0: pretty good effect on the own. Uh, yeah,
1: which is cool. But there are little moments, you know. You even get the, you know, it's not uh, the tree doesn't accost uh, Bobby Joe as it does in the original. Yeah, it's true. But it is very much that sequence, and you and then obviously you know, Ramy said later on that he wouldn't have done that, so that it makes more sense that it's just a straight up attack uh, in the woods. And so there are like little moments like that where you see elements from the first one bleeding through because it's like ne- now we're reaching a bigger audience. We still want them to see all the cool stuff we did in the first one. But it does feel it really does feel truly like more of its own movie in many ways than some bigger budget uh, requels like Force Awakens seem <laughs> and stuff like that, you know?
0: Yeah. And Vanderbilt, do you think I mean, looking back, it's 87. Thinking about how movies were coming out, how they're being distributed, how they're even being seen in certain cases, especially something like The Evil Dead, which wasn't just readily available for anybody. Do you think that this this remake of the first of the movie within a span of seven minutes was one hundred percent necessary? Do you think it could have just started off with him being thrown through the woods, or do you think you needed to have that setup up for, for maybe unfamiliar audiences?
3: I think you needed to have the setup. But to your point on your earlier question, I by the time I saw Evil Dead Two, I'd watched a lot of low rent horror sequels and I was just used to them being essentially a remake of the original or not like it'd be a whole new set of characters.
1: Mm,
0: yeah.
3: Uh, it just did. It, it And it made it like, okay, fine. It made sense to me. And I think I may have, I may have actually read about the, the footage not being able to be used in that article that I read about army of darkness. Cause I feel like I kind of understood a little bit of what was going on there, but I'm surprised nobody's taken the three original films and just edited them together, which you could do. Oh, like good point. When Ash walks out of the cabin, you cut the Evil Dead two, and then you cut off the end of Evil Dead two, and send it right in Army of Darkness, and then it all makes
0: sense. It all makes sense. You're I mean, if right. you
3: do it like that, and you know, people that get hung up on that idea of canon and, and, and any series, I uh,
0: Here, this is,
3: this is it's a, a losing battle. This. It's a losing battle. This is what battle. I thought about
0: though. I think personally I'm far more forgiving of the loose, and I do say loose politely, the loose canon and the loose continuity between the Evil Dead movies because there there was never well-established continuity in the series. It wasn't like there was this incredible continuity with the first five Evil Dead movies, and then this movie comes out, and we're recapping the first movie or something like that. Then I would be a little bit more, what the fuck is going on here? This isn't like you've got, I don't know, let's give an example of uh, 20 years of Halloween continuity, for example, and then we just <laughs> dismiss the continuity, and then 20 years later, we dismiss that continuity. You know what I mean? That, that becomes lazy to me. This just becomes, we've got to make these movies, and we've got to somehow connect them to the earlier ones, but not too much, because these are not major phenomena, These are not taking over the nation. These are not sweeping the nation. They are still... Evil Dead 1 and 2 at at the time of, for instance, Army of Darkness, they're cult movies. So we just have to kind of really quickly recap what's going on here. Trim as much fat as possible to be able to proceed without depending too much on the lore of the preceding movies. And there are
3: different kinds of film fans. There's film fans that only look at the movie and less at the filmmaking. Yeah, and this sure. show also dives into the filmmaking, which is mm. what I enjoy. That's the stuff that I enjoy and just yeah. can't wrap their head around because it, it doesn't fit in this box. And the whole canon thing has just gotten more ridiculous as I've gotten older, where I kind of like the old days when, if you made a horror sequel, like something like Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Nightmare yeah. on Elm Street 2 like doesn't really follow anything from the original film except for Nancy's Diary. That could be yeah. a complete reboot of that series.
0: Well even the Friday thirteenth movies, I mean it's it, funny it, it, in its own way they do kind of follow in a row in, in terms of like except sur- from the last place he ended up. It's surprising know? how
3: well part four, uh one through four kind of tie together. Yeah. Because but, it wasn't uh, something that uh you know these a lot of these a lot of horror producers, filmmakers aren't in it, particularly in this era, for the love of the game. Mm. So much as it was just it was the cash grab. It was a quick way to make money. Even Sam Raimi and the guys, they did not want to make a horror movie. Bruce Campbell yeah. scared of horror movies, I think. I read it in an interview. And He's not a fan. And they, they made good on it. And then eventually got to put their own, you know, their own stink on it with Evil Dead 2.
0: Right. And it was a positive stink. Absolutely. That's the, that should be the program for this episode, a positive stink of an episode of <laughs> Evil Dead 2 coverage. But you mentioned the comedy of it all. Vanderbilt and Dan you mentioned way earlier on at least an hour ago how this truly is like a really good balance of horror and comedy and this was a dream for the original crew who who spent their 70s making comedy short films that was the wheelhouse that was the playground that they felt most comfortable playing around in and in the Hollywood Reporters oral history for Evil Dead 2 Bruce Campbell said about the making of this movie you know Scott and Sam are writing a horror movie. <laughs> Why are they laughing so loud yeah. in that room?
3: Because they were in are, the uh, Are they working down there. Yeah, and, and,
0: and, and Campbell said they turn in pages every day and it was always the most ridiculous stuff. They thought it was the funniest thing they'd ever written. I think I can speak for all of us. We'd rather be doing slapstick comedy, but because we were so concerned at the time with getting our work into theaters, we thought, eh, horror movies. That's a good way in. So, and good I slapstick think, is hard to do. It's very hard to
1: do. I've seen a lot, of, I see a
3: lot of bad slapstick, especially from that huh? era.
1: Yeah, Matt, No, just having done, and Dan can attest, like we've done a lot of comedy theater and stuff, comedy is the hardest thing to do because you've oh, yeah, got to be, it's got to be, I mean, you can have a lot of great improvisation and that's, that's grand, you know, when it works. But as Justin knows, <laughs> we love going to see... Improv shows here in Chicago. No, Not knocking the improv troops in Chicago. Well, hold on, Mac,
0: hold on, Mac, don't do anything. Let's do an imitation of, of bad improv. Okay, this is bad so, Mac, improv. Give Mac, give Mac a prompt for improv. Give him some, some, something to do. I'll be in the scene too, so go ahead.
3: Mac, you're ordering a sandwich at a deli.
0: Here we go. Okay, uh,
1: I walk up to the counter. Hi. How
0: are you doing?
1: Good. So that's, um, I...
0: yeah, I... Um, it's the I'd talking like, over that just makes me I said it laughing immediately I, I, it's okay it's the most <laughs> triggering thing when, when bad and you see it dying before your eyes there's no escape <laughs> the people doing it can't escape they can't just say alright that's enough for this now, one
1: to be, to, oh. be, to be perfectly fair I cited Chicago, but that's just because I'm here that happens everywhere <laughs> Any we're, that. No, but we're not in the bad we're,
3: we're an improv town and yeah. this is an
1: improv town that's why I mention it but um, and I've seen plenty of good improv, but I will say, you know, that was one that like Bernie comedy, Bridges with the improv crowd. Oh, fuck <laughs>
3: them, Chicago. fuck them.
1: But no, but no, but comedy should be. I mean, I'm improv people don't listen to
3: anybody else's shows for the record. That's,
1: <laughs> That's true. No. I personally, I'm way more comfortable with a like really scripted. I would say like a noises off kind of comedy where it's slapstick mm. and it seems really zany and not planned. But that's because it's so meticulously planned. Absolutely. So, yeah, I I think comedy is the hardest thing to do. And so, and that's controlled chaos,
0: something like a noise is off. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's controlled chaos.
3: To that point, something I was just thinking about while we were talking about this. Like, so with horror, comedy, while you're doing it, especially if you're doing it live, you know when it's not working. Yeah. Like if you're doing anything mm. else, you're doing drama, you don't know if it's working or not. You're giving it your all. You don't know if people are into it or not. So you don't care, but you tell a joke and nobody laughs. You feel that.
1: But comedy, and, and I agree, but that's also kind of something you have to, you know, I, I'm not a big, I'm not someone that laughs out loud a lot. Same. Except when I'm with you jokers. But uh, when. Compliment taken. That would be something where, you know, you're, when, and the hardest thing I think is to film comedy like this. Well, you I want to get into have, that. Unless you have people on the set laughing, you don't have people reacting to this. So you don't know how it's really going to land until you get to test audiences. I'm sure Justin's got more on well, that no, Because stuff. In, like,
0: when it comes to making a movie making a comedy, filming a comedy, it's all about the editing, all about the editing. You have to know yeah. when to cut away from the line, when to cut away from the reaction, when to jump over here. Do we linger longer? That's gotta be really tough though. Because you don't have like a live audience sitting next to you while you're putting it together and kinda of looking over your shoulder like, huh? Eh? Is this good? Right. You know, You and, just I mean, have
1: the people closest to it who A probably are too close to it at that point and B yeah. already find it funny. <laughs> so it's really well, I remember tough, something it's that
0: difficult. An important thing to remember about comedy, I like how this well of course we're gonna talk about comedy for Evil Dead too. But one of the best things I ever read was Norm MacDonald said, and I think it was in the, the oral history of SNL, he said that he didn't care if he was making a million people laugh at home, all he cared about were his three friends and whether or not he was making them laugh. That's all he cared about. And I think that that works, because you got to just be authentic. You can't just be really reaching for that easy joke. Like I'm not saying that they absolutely do that now in SNL, but I'm saying that they absolutely do that now in SNL. Well,
3: my audience on this show is always Justin. Like, oh, yeah, oh, I, I always look to him, and if, if he's kind of doing that giggle off mic, like that's how I knew the Halloween, Colin Michael Myers Halloween bit was good.
0: Oh, that's right. The Halloween, yeah. I was, watch, there, I was watching I, Justin. Inside baseball for folks, so sometimes when talking too long, I'll just throw like an alarm. I've got an alarm, it's, it's, it's ringing off. Like, no, you can't do that. You can't I'm the that. long winded one. Working. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> for these movies it kind of works so you can say oh
2: when evil dead comes down the stairs like it's like okay these yeah, are the evil dead does, it is the evil yeah.
1: and then and for those who haven't listened to our fog episode yet uh we definitely cast fog in the Fog <laughs> yes. last
0: night so please subscribe to our patreon patreon.com backslash Pod for our fog commentary in which i believe mac cast the fog as michael shannon so for more inside jokes please listen to that episode Uh, But we've got to talk about more comedy about this because we kind of teased it in our first episode. But let's talk about a comedic influence that definitely seeped its way into this movie. And that is, that is like they're not human beings. They are the Three Stooges. Mike Vanderbilt, you have some information about the Three Stooges and the history.
3: Before I start speaking, would you like to set your timer?
0: Um, I've got the alarm ready to go. all, right, <laughs> not,
1: it, it, all I so can I got, think of is the, no, the wrap my, it up clock from. No,
0: Mike <laughs> no, Vanderbilt. My alarm joke was about you make, make making an offensive joke. It wasn't about you wrapping it up. That was my alarm joke. <laughs> it was like, okay, I'm not. Beep beep. All right, now that makes sense. I'll that take sense. that. I'll
3: accept that. All right, so the Three Stooges. A little history here. Um, they started in 1922 as Ted Healy and his Stooges. Uh, the original Three Stooges were Moe and Shemp Howard. your brothers and Larry Fine. Jemp leaves in 33. Younger brother Jerry Howard joined the ranks. That's Curly. He had all, I I did not know this. He had long red hair and a big mustache. And they didn't like it, or they said, you don't look funny enough. So he went in the next room and shaved it off, everything off, and just came back and said, what do you think of this? And uh, he said, what do you think of this, assholes? Yeah, and he (laughs) says, I look so girly. Somebody heard Curly, and that's how he Uh became Curly Howard.
0: You know, that's what I think of when I look at Curly Howard. I think, God, he looks like a girl.
3: Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> what it was a different. About? It was a different time back then. Justin. I guess. So, as the Three Stooges, they, they shot. how many short films
0: do you think the Three Stooges shot? I'm going to say they made 225.
3: 225.
0: 280.
1: I'm going to say one dollar.
3: Fun dollar. Price is right rules. You would win 190 short films for Columbia. That's just the short films, not, not including theatrical stuff or stuff before they were officially the Three stages. So they shot 190 short films for Columbia, which have aired in syndication perpetually since 1958 when they were packaged together by uh, Screen Gems. Now, in the 60s in Chicago, they were hosted by Bob Bell of WGN, but I watched them on Channel 50 on Sunday nights, WPWR, and I think it would appear that and the boys watched it on their own Channel 50 up in Michigan. So I have a question for you guys. Did you go through a Three Stooges phase? Do you prefer, if you had to make a choice, Marx Brothers or Stooges, where would you land? And where did you watch them if you did?
0: I will answer this first, but I guarantee Mac and I will have the same answer. Uh, I do remember vividly watching Three Stooges in syndication, kind of like on Saturday, Sunday mornings, basically, around the time you would watch cartoons. The physical comedy is unbelievable, and then obviously seeps its way into this movie, which we'll talk about. But I absolutely hundred percent prefer the Marx Brothers. I think as the Marx Brothers do the physical comedy incredibly well, but then you add to that the comedy, uh, just the wittiness and the broadness, and the kind of uh, they were pretty subversive for their time too. Some of that stuff is like eighty years ahead of its time, and they are also incredible musicians. On top of all of that. So for me, I, 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 had to, I have to go Marx Brothers over the Stooges. But in a way, it's almost like an apples and oranges thing. Absolutely. It, really is. it, it wasn't like the, the Three Stooges were, were also competing great musicians. Or, you know, no, no. It's just a different But I always put
3: them together because I got into the Marx Brothers through the
0: Stooges. Yeah, exactly. That, and that's how I did it, too. That's how I did it, too. Mac, what about you?
1: You know, it's funny because other than just seeing clips here and there of the Three Stooges, I don't think I've ever seen a Three Stooges picture or a mm. short in its entirety. I just, you just always see the poking of the eyes thing. You know what I mean? Like that's all I really saw growing up, but I was introduced to the March brothers via duck soup. And I will tell people right now, like duck soup's great, but go watch the opening of horse feathers. Oh my God. It's got one of the greatest openings of all time. And there is a bit in there that had me rolling on the floor upon the second rewatch. I don't know why we didn't laugh so hard the first time, but man, I was just dying. But anyways, yeah, I'm a big Marx Brothers fan, big Marx Brothers head. Um it's funny, just just the other day I was at work and we were piling into this office and people just kept showing up and showing up and showing up. And mm-hmm. my boss mentioned that, you know, not at the opera scene and I said, Exactly, that's exactly wow. what I was thinking. <laughs> that's like eighty uh, years yeah, later, a, you know, that's the that's the power know, of those movies, I guess. I know. I think Dan and I didn't we see Animal Crackers? At yeah, the we saw
2: uh, they did at the Goodman Theater because I mean a lot of the Marx Brothers movies were plays first, and that the, they were yeah. in you know the vaudeville element. Um, obviously, the Marx Brothers were not in the one Mac and I saw. It was actually uh, he was good. Uh, Joey Slotnick played Groucho Marx. He oh, was I love on, Joey Slotnick. Yeah, yeah he's storm- the single was cool. guy. He was yes. yeah he was on, yeah he was on this that honestly growing up that's where I knew him from, and then he's one of the storm chasers on Twister. You know, I saw him in the street once. Yeah, we were driving oh, really? to, Is he a we're, Chicago g- guy? Yeah, we were
3: driving when I was like, probably, I think we were going to see Rocky Horror or something. And I just was driving my parents, many of had everybody in the back. And I looked out the window and I go, hey, you're Joey Slotnick for the single guy. And he pointed at me and just kept walking.
2: Nice. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like it. Yeah. Molly Brennan, who's a kind of a well-known Chicago clowning actress. She was Harpo, right? Or not Harpo, but oh, the, my whoever gosh. the character is. I got to
1: say, like, I was very curious how they were going to, do some of the characters and, and, and Harpo and whatnot. He was so good. Oh, she's Harpo. great. It was so freaking funny. And it's like spot on.
2: And that's hard too, because it's weird because you are playing these Groucho Marx is not like that in real life. None of the Marx brothers were like, like that in real life. Those were characters they were playing. So you're weirdly playing a character that was created by someone else, but it's not their persona, even though they're mostly known by that. And I thought they all did a really good job. I mean, as far as yeah. um, which one I prefer, I wouldn't say I'm super well-versed in either the Stooges or or the Marx brothers, uh, yeah, same thing. I, I feel like I've seen random stooges' shorts that were just on. I always mention UPN, United Paramount yeah. Network. Well, yeah, that was day. my
3: channel. Fi- my channel 50 was WP. yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it, and I I that think was we were like 44. That was Sunday nights, and then they had Bullwinkle, and then the new mm-hmm. WKRP in Cincinnati,
2: yeah, exactly. And so, and so that, that was kind of syndication land for me, you know, where I, you know, caught up in a lot of Simpsons episodes and everything. So, you know, I would watch them when they were on. I feel like my dad and his friends. Really love the Three Stooges. My uncle Steve is my dad's best friend. Um, is my godfather. He was saying like how he's actually started watching the Three Stooges going to bed at night because it's just like a fun, you know, it's like oh, yeah. like It's, it's literally yeah, turning off your brain. Yeah, and I so just enjoy and it, you know, <laughs> I always did laugh at the physical comedy of it. But as far as the few Marx Brothers things I've seen, it seems like the stories are actually kind of interesting, and there's a little bit more absurdism to it. It just, I mean, once again, it's from theater, so it seems like a little bit more. This is not to disparage the Stooges, but it seems a little bit more imaginative to me. So it's, I think it's just a little yeah. bit more up my alley in terms. They of... There,
3: Jason goes to hell to <laughs> to, wow. the, to the Stooges Friday the Thirteenth Part 13th. Five, and yeah,
2: that's one way to put. It. Oh, five. Well, I mean, I can't. That's maybe definitely a way of putting there. it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's in Halloween speak how we compare them. Yeah. But yeah, I don't. I don't know. I mean, it's funny because those comedy teams. I mean, Abbott and Honestly, the ones the ones I know best are Abbott and Costello just because I've watched all their oh, I love Universal monster story. movies. Oh, I guess yeah. you could yeah, put them in there too. But yeah. it, it it is funny because all the I feel like all those different comedy teams and they are very different, uh, just stylistically. I think because they all came from this vaudeville background, yeah. they did crank out so much material. That was just mm. how you did it back then. And so I don't. I would know, by no means call myself a scholar in any of them. But yeah, I think I would gravitate a little bit more towards. The Marx Brothers, especially because Mac and I saw that play together, and and Mac and I've written stuff before, and I feel like Mac, your I feel like Mac, your sense of humor seems very informed by Horse Feather, or maybe I'm maybe oh, I'm speaking out no, of yeah, turn, yeah. no,
1: no, it totally yeah, yeah, it really is. I think that's why I love you know like Stella and the guys from White yes. American Summer and the State wasn't Stella just very even absurd,
2: yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, what was absurd. Stella on Comedy Central, if I remember correctly, I still have the DVD somewhere. Didn't they even say like, "Oh, the Marx Brothers for the twentieth century"? Yeah, there's century a or something review like that, that said yeah. compared to the Marx
0: Brothers because of the absurdism. Um, yeah,
2: yeah. So, I, I and also too, I should say, my grandparents have had an like they used to have an antique store. They've had this like original um, animal crackers poster in their house like as long oh, as wow. I've been a kid. So it's every time, every time I use my bathroom. <laughs> Or use the bathroom down at uh down the shore at my grandmother's house. I'm looking at a big vintage uh, well, animal crackers. Animal cluster, crackers, so. of course, yeah. has the famous
0: Groucho line where he says, "This morning I shot an elephant in my pajamas." <laughs> How we got my pajamas, I'll never know. Yeah, I, I think, think I'm great the fucking line. Still I think a good I'm line.
3: Odd man out on this and that. I think a I, I align Stooge. Stooge fan, and I. And this is not the mark because I love the Marx Brothers. It's not their fault, but I. I have seen so many improv people. Oh boy, here we go. Do a horrible, (laughs) do that that Groucho delivery, the impression and everything. Now
1: now that's not the Marx Brothers. That's that. But it aggravates the 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 fuck fuck out of me. So then
3: when I watch (laughs) the Marx Brothers now, like, I just see some asshole fucking improv Olympic guy walking around, like, with his hands behind his back and, you know. You I have, know, have to say, I've seen many cigar. improv shows.
0: People are literally doing improv and imitating Groucho Marx. <laughs> I don't know if they're doing improv there. I just they don't like here here like a custodian at the high school, and the Mac, guy's like, hey, I, played, uh, to be fair, Mac played but,
2: Mark kind of did a Groucho Marx thing in a show, but you're supposed to be doing Groucho. But you weren't. It wasn't like, oh, this is Mike. It was in a Genesis show. You did like a Groucho Marx."
1: Oh yeah, but yeah, you were yeah.
2: playing him. You were It wasn't was, supposed,
1: to still, be, you're, oh, your your supposed to I be. This is supposed to be I was yeah. at those shows with Vanderbilt, and he was giving the suggestion. Uh, you're the Marx Brothers.
3: <laughs> <laughs> you're a Marx brother, and you're going to get a sandwich. You're going to war. And he's, he's going, going for to punishment.
1: War. He just wanted to see if they could do it.
3: Another weird kind of a uh, Marx Brothers, Evil Dead Two connection, I guess. You ever seen Brain Donors with John Turturro?
0: Ooh. And now you want to talk about why I don't like that movie is because I just kept thinking the entire time about the Marx brothers and how they were just trying to do an imitation of the Marx brothers. So I do not like Brain Donors. Now, see,
3: I saw it at the right age. I just, uh, Oh, I, I thought I was smart. Cause I'm like, Oh, I get it. They're the Marx brothers. You know?
0: Yeah, I did not. I remember my, one of my good friends loves it. And I, I just was like, let me throw in horse feathers or something like that. This is not working for me. Love John Turturro; he's doing a great job on Apple TV's Severance right now, which is really, really good, by the way. And the Batman, which I loved, uh, (laughs) uh, is the great. Finally, I was saying, finally, we get Carmen Falcone on the big screen.
1: (laughs) But he's also in uh, Transformers: (laughs) The Last Night.
0: He does. Oh, he! I I believe many Transformers movies. As we go into the history of John Turturro, has absolutely nothing to do with Evil Dead. Does he or does he not get pissed on by a robot in the first Transformers movie? Yes. Is it the se- first or
2: second? No, it's first. You're right. yeah. Here's the first. It's first. I remember no, thinking
0: right. this might not be for me. Back, yeah. To yeah. Back to some
3: Stooges history.
0: There's a reason why we're talking about the three Stooges. But Venble, do you have a little bit more history I got a little before bit more. We get into the connection? bit yep. yeah. the okay. the alarm I don't know if we talked about it on the little bit
3: of a little bit of a little bit of a little bit of a don't know a we talked about a a fake did we a about what a fake bit was
0: a did we did address a fake bit issue yes
3: because i uh I figured out it was a uh, period in 55, they needed to finish Rumpus and the Harem, Hot Stuff, and Scheming Schemers, and Commotion in the Ocean for Columbia. And that's when they used Joe Palma, who was the A-number-one original fake ship. Yep. And just the one, like, the humor in Evil Dead 2 is influenced uh, round, you know, roundly by uh, Street Stooges. But the one I could find that was specific is the eyeball gag, mm-hmm. which is a reference to a running Stooges gag called Choke on This, in which they'd shut somebody up by flipping grapes or cherries into the foil's mouth, and that's done in Part of My Scotch from 35, Microphonies from 45, Malice in the Palace from 49, and Musty Musketeers from
0: 54. I will say great titles for all these short films. I mean, the, the rhetoric, the alliteration is really good. The catchy. I feel like they always use Malice in the Palace for like wrestling specials. or, uh, or
2: Is that is that the nickname of what happened with the Ron Artest thing yes, back the, in the, the day? Yes, Mouse Pacers,
0: think, yeah. Pistons, Malice at the Palace. Yeah, Not funny. Well, I I thought it was funny, but I guess it's not. At the time, I I thought this is the end of the NBA. (laughs) Um, Everybody's fine now. Everybody's like a basketball (laughs) analyst, of course, now. So they're they're all doing just great. But here's the thing about the Three Stooges. There is hints of Three Stooges' influence in the first one, but not just in the performance that's going on by Bruce Campbell and Evil Dead 2, but even the filmmaking alone. I think the kitchen scene where he is, like, smashing the, the the dishes over his head repeatedly. You're hearing chuckling in the background. You can tell, like, the film is also being sped up at the same time. And that's very much a trick that not just the Three Stooges would do, but a lot of the Mars Brothers would do it back in the day, too. A lot of these comedic films, in order to make the special effect really work or really speed up, they would just have to literally speed up the movie. And so there's a lot of that going on there. You could, you could feel the Three Stooges' influence throughout this movie and even more so in in, in the army of darkness, but it really does start here. And so we talked about how that first one, while it's a fun time, it's definitely a horror movie. Was it jarring at all for you Vanderbilt when you first saw evil dead Two with the comedic tone compared to the, the the more or less lack of comedy in the first one?
3: I I fell into it immediately because that I was already a Stooges fan Mm. and I, I, I don't know if I had read that or if I put it together immediately, but I, the evil dead. I mean, we'll talk about it in our final thoughts is probably my favorite of the series, but it felt like a lot of horror movies that I'd seen. Mm-hmm. Evil dead Two to me felt completely original. Even when I saw it, when I was 12 years old, there was nothing else like it.
0: What about and, you, Caffrey? Cause I, you, once again, yours, yours is an interesting story because you went in reverse order. So I guess for this, this wasn't that jarring at all. No. Right? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I mean, it feels, it feels more like a
2: horror movie than army of darkness, obviously it almost feels scaled. I mean, I don't know. I guess it's as much of a comedy as army of darkness is, but I think because army of darkness is so outlandish, it's almost like a sword and sorcery kind of thing. There's horror elements, but that to me feels really big and Epic and funny by nature. Whereas this doesn't really have much of that until the very end, of course. And so for this, it almost felt like a more sober (laughs) army of darkness. And and, I mean, I got that it was a comedy still, but it almost seemed like it was taking itself a little bit more seriously. And then of course, seeing the first one, yeah, even more so.
1: Yeah, I guess that's my question for you, Dan, is because you saw it in reverse order, when you got to Evil Dead, and I know it's kind of goofy in the beginning in the car mm-hmm. and stuff like that when they get to the cabin, but were you expecting it to be more comedic? And so when it wasn't, was that more jarring? Did it hit you in a good way or in a. I, it's, like, it no, hit wish me in a was good more way.
2: Funny. It hit me in a good way because I think I, but by, by the time I saw Evil Dead, I was aware enough of the whole, the history behind it and just of horror movies in general that i knew what i was getting into and i kind of had i think i knew more of the trajectory about it but then it's weird because then when i felt like when i talked to people afterward just about evil dead as a trilogy it was always talked about as being a horror comedy even though it's not all the way through so it was it, i almost feel like the discourse around it was i would say jarring but like a little bit more confusing to me because i don't think that the yeah the first one is a comedy at all no at, at all and I almost felt like the first movie felt even more disturbing than it would have um, had I not seen those movies, if that makes sense. Like I said, I mean that, that pencil and the ankle and the tree scene and some of the other stuff that happens in the first film, it feels pretty miserable to me in a way. Mm. I love it. And it is, it's fun because it's kinetic. It moves a lot. The special effects are great, everything else, but it feels like a more of a dismal movie than the other two, especially because the second one doesn't continue it directly. Like it almost does feel like that false that starting over again. You could just look at the first one by itself and be like, "Oh, that's kind of a sad movie." Like this guy takes oh, his, well, his sister <laughs> and his girlfriend and his his friends, friends to a yeah. cabin and they all just die, like, and he probably dies at the end. So, yeah. So I mean, I guess jarring, jarring in a good way. Jarring and like, oh man, this is actually pretty grisly and and disturbing to me. And the effects are, I would say, the effects are not as fun in the first one. They're more just like, ooh, kind of skeevy. It's very though. transgressive, is what I said on the episode. Yes. That first one.
0: I think looking. I think when I saw the second one, I was really revved up for this just to be another nightmarish, clutching your sofa experience again. I'm just picturing. And, like a- and, and while, don't get me wrong; there are definitely some moments. There are definitely some great jump scares in this movie. They're a lot of fun throughout throughout the whole thing, really. But it definitely is much more, of a, in my opinion, much more of a comedy than a horror movie. It kind of does like a comedy horror as opposed to a horror comedy. But even looking back as the years have gone on, I I realized had he attempted to make it as scary as the original Evil Dead, I think he would have failed. I think there's only so much you can do in that cabin to maintain that intensity. Because now basically you're asking, you're, you're asking to maintain an intensity for not just 90 minutes like the first one, but another 90 minutes. And I just don't know how that works. So I think that looking back, to, to flip the script, as it were, and to do something so different, yet can't kind of keep it in the same universe as the Evil Dead, was the, the best and only way to go about it, you know,
2: and they ever tried to probably not because it would be so lazy, but especially with, you know, Sam Raimi directing this multiverse, whatever Dr. Strange movie, have they ever just flat out said, Oh, well, you know, we introduced the idea of other worlds and portals to other worlds. So this is one version of Ash and this is the other. Ver-. Have they ever just tried to pull some of that shit or not?
0: Dan, don't even say that out loud.
2: <laughs> I, I know, <laughs> no. don't even I, say that out loud. I'm not joking. What if this happens? we see this multiverse. It was madness. Multi- what if this Dr. Strange movie? We see it. Multiverse and then the end, the mid, the mid scene, the mid credit scene is a portal opening. And Ash gets like brought through, and he's like, Oh, does someone need my help? <laughs> and, like, oh. and, it, and we find out that Disney has actually bought up the Evil Dead franchise too. Oh and it's God. this new Evil Dead Rise is just to be this tie in to like the Marvel. Universe you know, what I just realized though,
0: because I've already started taking notes for our Army of Darkness episode. And Dan, there, there was a possible story that Sam Raimi talked about that is kind of in line with multiple Ashes. But it's yeah. interesting. It's an interesting story. I'm no, and, and if they do that in, about.
2: if they do that in universe, I'm fine with that. I'm more yeah. like just this idea of Disney just sucking up everything. Oh They're like, God. oh yeah, we got and, and it's dead like, dead <laughs> now. But we can't have
0: them with, with the with the shotgun anymore because it's too violent or something like that. <laughs> yeah, like, it's gonna like, be. Uh, well, it's like a it's like a broomstick literally. literally. It's like a light, yeah, yeah, It's a they,
1: lightsaber. They all have walkie talkies.
0: Yeah, walkie talking <laughs> yeah, a lightsaber.
1: Speaking of, Army of Darkness though, and went in line with this being a comedy. Like, I really feel like if Army of Darkness was not good. That people would not look at Evil Dead Two and think it was good. I think they would be like, mm. "This is where it starts to get funny," and they and it didn't work, and then it doesn't work in Army Darkness, and then the franchise fell up. Like I don't, like, I think it still would have been kind of an apples and oranges thing. Like some people would have maybe seen Evil Dead 2 first and liked it. Kind of, it's kind of like Fierce Creatures and Fish Girl Wanda. I think, <laughs> mm. <laughs> oh, for me only, no. but I do feel like. You know, I don't know, because then I watched the movie like <laughs> three times this month, and I just thought this is pretty fun on its own. You know, but I think that if you're if you're a diehard fan, and and if Army of Darkness hadn't worked, I don't know if you would be so like accepting of all the comedy in the second one when you knew like this is what ruined the franchise. I think it's hard but to that look that back
0: happen. because we saw these movies. Because I know, Vanneville, you saw these leading up to Army of Darkness, yes. but Mac, you and I, and I think Dan saw these movies after Army of Darkness happened. So, I mean, there was definitely enough of an audience over five years where they felt, enough of a cult audience about part two, that they felt that they could make a third one and have to be successful. So I think it was it was already pretty much well-loved at that point, too. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That's but cool. you know what? We'll never know because we weren't there. <laughs> I guess it's hard to tell. <laughs> yeah. But... um so something else. So I alluded to Renaissance Pictures earlier on Vanderbilt. Do you have some more information about the the distribution and, and marketing? Absolutely, I do. So go, go right ahead.
3: We kind of touched on this a little bit. That the uh, crew for Evil Dead Two, they were contractually obligated to deliver an R-rated film, but they and they ended up not even submitting the picture to the MPAA. So we hmm. we can only assume that they would have gotten an X. They were sure they were getting get they were going to get an X. Now, this is worth noting that many newspapers and outlets won't run ads for films for the next rating, or at least not big ads. That's why all the porno ads in the 70s and 80s were in small print in the back. Uh, so it makes them impossible to market, virtually. Mm. So De Laurentiis Entertainment Group, DEG, producer of Blue Velvet and Transformers, the movie, couldn't release an unrated film because they were a signatory member of an MPAA contract prohibiting them from doing that. They always had to submit their films to the MPAA. So th- they knew they had, they had to get this movie out. So they created a f- essentially a fake distribution company called Rosebud Releasing Corporation to a distribution. They had a logo designed by Sam Raimi. That's the rose blooming that you see in the front with the, yep. the fly sound from the original Evil Dead. And De Laurentiis installed Alex de Benedetti. As president of Rosebud, De Benedetti was married to Veronica De Laurentis, daughter of Dino, and their daughter is Giada, the smoking smoke yeah. show uh... uh She's the circle
0: fox of this episode. My, my
3: goodness. he's going to say the same thing. <laughs> this is... This is uh, De Laurentis, this motherfucker, I respect him more and more every time we talk about him.
2: Oh, I love Dino. Because... Oh, his connections keep just like... He's like the spider web of... <laughs> Connective tissue. Dino
3: right this multiverse. <laughs> ah,
2: <laughs> multiverse, my
3: multiverse. And Welcome to the version... multiverse,
1: of Dino. All I can see is that version of <laughs> Spider-Man that's like actually like part spider, and he is all. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh yeah, is it, so it called Man spider? spider or something like that? No, it was like, going to be yeah, Spider-Man, yeah. <laughs> but
3: the guys from Canon had no idea who the hell Spider-Man was. They thought oh, it was God. going to be a man who was part spider. So they had already now. De Laurentiis had three deg had already booked the film in three hundred and forty theaters, which is pretty good for a low budget picture like this. And they uh, they concocted a story that the film was booked before the sale to Rosebud, despite what? it being it, it basically being his son in law that he sold quote unquote sold the movie to. So the advertising materials were already prepared by deg, which is how they were able to advertise it. And Now, it is interesting, to your point earlier, Justin, about how you rented it from the video store. Since that film doesn't have a rating, if an unrated film, the people at the theater cannot... I mean, I guess you can refuse service to anybody. They couldn't tell teenagers not to go see
0: it. Uh, maybe that's why I was able to rent it, because technically it wasn't rated.
3: Yeah, maybe. There's a good article in the uh, LA Times when this happened by Jack Matthews, who tries to get to the bottom of it. And there's a good quote... From Dino De Laurentiis, where let me get it real fast. Dino, Dino, says, talk to
0: me.
2: You know, uh, he's go wait one second. Do the what a minute? Oh eh? no,
3: it's De- it's De- Benedetti. I'm sorry, it's not Dino. Oh, please, when yeah, they ask him about right. the yeah. marketing distribution, like says, this is a personal question. I'm a private company, and I don't have to go into that kind of detail.
0: Oh, I like that he has cigar chomping his mouth no, too. Probably the time, you
3: know. So, um, yeah, and I could not find out who designed the posters. Uh, the marted marking materials, but that was all Dino. But I have another fun bit about do you guys have anything you add or want to talk about with the, the distribution?
0: No, stuff? go ahead. Keep going. Please. Um
3: so overseas, Palace Pictures was they had distributed Evil Dead. And they were once again distributing Evil Dead 2 in the UK. And the UK poster was once again designed by Graham Humphreys and Christopher Fowler. Graham Humphreys did the original Evil Dead poster. And it's that very brightly colored kind of day glow one. They use it for a lot of uh, alternate uh, posters and soundtracks and stuff. So they formed a creative partnership. That was their company's name. And uh, Nick Powell of Palace gave the marching orders that the tagline, they designed a poster, but the tagline had to be funny, scary, and no more than four words. They did not go with Dead by Dawn. The Fowler, was Fowler that came up with Kiss Your Nerves Goodbye. Uh, Palace also commissioned, this is one of my favorite bits, you guys have probably seen this, commissioned create a partnership to shoot a 30-second TV spot featuring English film critic Jonathan Ross and Sam Raby. Have you guys seen this one? I haven't seen this, no. Oh, it's great. And uh, so... Ross was an English film critic. Jonathan Ross was an English film critic. He hosted the incredible. He is. He was the driving force behind the incredibly strange film show. Did you guys see? Have you guys seen the documentary no. about Evil Dead Two? That's one of my first places I saw about the Evil Dead films because they used to run it on Channel Eleven. Oh, okay, uh, and they would focus on cult films. It was a British uh, program. They did a great episode on Evil Dead Two, like I said. Uh, and reportedly, the TV spot was done in one take. Took twenty minutes to shoot. Uh, and it's just Sam Raimi and Jonathan Ross sitting in a cinema watching Evil Dead 2. Sam, Sam's, like, kind of doing a William Castle kind of thing, talking oh, wow. to you about the movie. And the film was only censored with two cuts by the BBFC. What do you think the cuts were that the British got censors one guess. made? All
0: right. And I'll, I'll cut in a little bit here but, and say there are a lot of r- long rumor deleted scenes that are actually on YouTube now. And one is, I'm guessing it's Ed. Getting his head uh, chopped off and lying on the ground. Is that one? Is that one? No.
2: When, it, when it's in the door or whatever.
0: No, you're never going to guess him because oh, it's good.
2: asinine. What is is it? it something like, got, like when Linda gets reanimated because there's nudity? It's claymation nudity, but was there something nope. like
1: that?
0: All right, Mac, think, Mac, you think you've got one?
1: Is it is it like when Ash and Linda are kind of like canoodling?
2: Nope.
3: It's when Jake kicks Ash in the face. And There's two cuts where he kicks him in the face. One throwing him in the cellar, and one when they come back to the cabin, and they cut. Those are the two cuts that were made.
0: The I evil did sworn that one of those cuts Which is still weird. in the movie him kicking him in the face.
3: Only in the
1: UK.
0: I swear the one I watched.
3: It, you see it, but they cut. It's like it's like two seconds of the kick. Okay, okay. Like maybe you that's see what the is, like right. you see the what is it? Protection. Assault and battery. You see the assault, but not the battery.
0: Gotcha. Okay, gotcha. Weird. Mm. What's um, the other um, cut? They're they're both, just, there's two, they both. It's, it's two. It's two scenes of both. him getting kicked. Oh, weird. Maybe there was a big kicking phase going on in, in schools at the time. They didn't it's want like the nunchucks in uh, the UK.
3: Nunchucks were illegal, so they had to. I don't even know how they worked around all that stuff with teenage mutant
2: ninja turtle shit.
0: No, they, that's why. Because in the second movie, if you if you note, know, they never use their weapons in the second movie. Ah, that's yeah. So it's like
2: they're. It's like using sausage links for nunchucks. Yeah, and yeah <laughs> it's oh as they run through it, the say by the says, Bell set. Yeah.
1: How did we not? <laughs> yeah, how, did, like we, did we notice that? I want to know when we were kids when we went to see Secret. Oh no, I loved the second one as a kid. No, I did. But did yeah. we? Was there I ever think a even I was like this is a bit I of a thought, downturn. Why aren't they using their
0: weapons? <laughs> no, I didn't notice the weapons. <laughs> no, of yeah. Uh, uh, great uh, times for Teenage Mutant uh, Ninja Part Two, by the way. Great times. Yeah, pretty <laughs> cool.
3: I mean, oh, uh, always some pretty cool stories when it comes to distribution of low budget films. Love it. It didn't make it to, it was released on March 13th, Friday, March 13th, 1987, but it really didn't make it to Chicago until April, which I think is surprising because Chicago's kind of a big market for this kind of stuff.
0: So let's think about this. 1987 would have been Friday, 13th, part oh, seven.
3: Here's what you could have been seeing in the theaters. Yeah. You still. could have seen Police Academy 4,
0: Citizens on Patrol.
3: Citizens on Patrol, the best Police Academy movie. You're uh, probably right. Night Realm Street 3 was still in theaters.
0: Yeah, Dream Warriors.
3: Uh, yeah,
1: pretty now, If they had decided to, if they were like, we really need to make this R and not X, we're just going to replace the cast with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> who even, would like... be who in the movie? Ash. Because there's only essentially four. Well, I think
0: Raphael is Scotty. Are you talking about Evil Dead or Evil Dead 2 now? No, Evil
1: Dead
3: 2. Ash's got to be Michelangelo, right? Maybe? Kind of a goofy.
1: I think, no, I think Michelangelo is Le- Jake.
0: Raphael is Ash. Michelangelo is Jake. Leonardo, Leonardo is Ed. And Donatello is Professor Nobi.
1: Who's
2: Usaki Ojimbo?
0: <laughs> oh, the rabbit. Splinter is literally the. Oh, the rabbit.
2: You remember the rabbit? Splinter is the rabbit. And Usagi Ojimbo is his own. He was a character, outside of turtles, also yeah, right? Yeah, and he, he crossed over. Look, I'm not
0: talking about your comic books. I'm talking about the movie <laughs> interpretations. All right, I'm not, I don't know I think about the cartoon. Well, hey, the archaeologist
2: is is David Warner's character. <laughs>
0: I see <laughs> it's Donatello. I
2: think Eli- Elias
1: Codius is is the Batri, the the, the demon at the end that comes to the door. Yeah. The evil demon Krang is
2: Krang is like the 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 the, the uh Krang is Henrietta, the Henrietta Henrietta or something in the basement. <laughs>
1: Okay, yeah, but the, but the yeah. but it's just a big crank. Is it crane yeah, yeah. or crank? Uh, Crangs from the animated series, though, Dan, and, and the comics. The body, I have in my notes in, here. Inside the body? Who's Leatherhead? I have,
0: my, I have in my notes in bold, it says if we start talking about who the Teenage Mutant <laughs> Ninja Turtles would play in Evil Dead 2, it's time to, to wrap up this section. So yeah. I will say that with a budget of about $3.5 million, which is roughly 10 times that of the original films, well, Budget at the beginning before they started running out of money. <laughs> uh, Evil Dead 2 went on to gross over $10 million worldwide. And if I break down what it's made since then with re release after re release on DVD and Blu ray using good old Gerberlytics, let me type it in here. Let me, let me borrow the old uh, computer, Teddy's computer from Friday, Thursday, Part 4, of course. And uh, it's made three good chillion dollars. On top of that. So congratulations (laughs) to everybody involved. You continue to make money 35 years later on these enduring cult hits. Now there's a part here because we talked about the history of Sam Raimi in our first episode, but there's just a couple notes I have here that really don't have a place within the rest of this coverage for evil dead two, but it's just the, the great direction and the, and the awesome choices here that kind of showed he had jumped up a level in the last you know seven years preceding this one one of my favorite shots and feel free to jump in here this is unplanned stuff but i love when ash is in the car and he flies through the windshield and then the 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 woods go through the windshield after him like that camera shot is just that's an
3: that's an impressive
0: shot and i think that's awesome yeah that's great has to burst through the back and goes to the front yeah
3: I don't know the name. I can't I'm trying to remember the name of that camera. I don't know if that's the... Because the SAMO Cam is the...
0: Oh, that might have been the Slamo Cam. The because it, had to, it had to break through the, the back of the car, okay. too. So maybe that's what that is. Well,
1: I, I've got... Here's, here's all the camera names I've got. Oh, yeah, good. We've, and I don't... But I don't know... I mean, some of them, I think you could tell what they are. But you have the Samo Cam.
3: That's the X that he spins on in the opening. And the end.
1: Okay. You've got the Splasho Cam...
0: Is that just like with blood
3: splashing <laughs> on the it's camera? Like,
0: yeah, oh, I'm guessing I
1: it's, it's. I don't know. I'm guessing it's probably just like in a
3: uh, plexiglass thing. So yeah, that the right. blood with, damage when, the camera with the
1: blood flood. Yeah, uh, the, it's called in two different names: the camel head and the Samuel head. Which cam one, Ramo Cam?
3: Well, the Ramo Cam is always what they use to break the windows because that was a, yeah. that was around on the original film too. Yeah.
1: That's right. And then the torso cam we so Which, cam. that is what I would think would be the camera effect when at the beginning when ash is being pushed through the woods is tied oh to yeah body. that's
0: okay that also is spins him around that's,
1: yeah and that's very much you see that camera a technique used in many horror films and things now where it's especially the you know found footage stuff I feel like where it's like tied to their it's like running with them through you know what I mean and it's but it's it's facing back at them isn't that kind of what that is
0: I think so. I just don't, I don't know exactly which ones they use for specific scenes. That's the thing. I, I don't remember, but I've got a couple POV things here, too. Like the POV of the flying eyeball into Bobby yeah. Joe's mouth is very funny. The POV of the hand going to try to get to the cleaver is also very <laughs> silly. And these are all easily done, but it's just a little, little flourishes I appreciated. And Mac, I know there's a scene that you've always loved, and it's the scene. And we'll talk about the effects later on, but just the, the scene of the objects cackling and the entire room like laughing at Ash as Ash is losing his mind. I mean, I know you love that scene.
1: Yeah, I, that's great. I also think that the, the sequence. Oh man, I just you you're putting that scene in my head. Just I just lost what I was going to say. How yeah, about when you say Vanderbilt? I was oh, just
3: going to say when he with the 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 gooseneck lamp.
1: Yes. But he <laughs> right, yeah, he then, bounces yeah. up and
3: down with him, and then they oh, stop oh, and look at each
0: other. Yes.
1: One of my favorite parts of the original of a Dead is when you get those moments when he's really losing it. And it's all of the kind of um, weird sound effects and camera shots and like the, the wood creaking. And you get that amplified again in this when Nobi is trying to break through to our plane of existence. That was my note. And, and, and I love that kind of how it's like, OK, we're going to do this again. Um, but it's done even even better in a way. And I just, I well, love because that you've got,
0: sequence. You, you see like the film is getting kind of stretched out. You hear like horses galloping. Yeah. 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 And Weird you know, it, it, it reminded me of Robert Wise's, the haunting, like on speed. Yeah. You know I mean, cause it's all based on like sound. It's nothing actually, you don't see a lot happening in that sequence, but uh, yeah, it's, it's some really great flourishes there. And I mean, we'll talk a lot more. Oh, of course, when Ash is trapped his hand under the bucket and you know what the bur- the book is on top.
3: Farewell
0: oh, to Farewell to Arms. Farewell to Arms. Very funny. <laughs> Guys, I think, I think we are at the end of this episode. I can't believe it. And we haven't it's talked about the movie again. yet, for God's sakes. do you believe that? <laughs> Let's go around real quick, it. though. Because inevitably we're going to do two episodes on this, of course. Let's go around and give our plugs before we, before we say farewell until a couple days from now, maybe even a week from now. So, if anybody want to give, give us some clubs? I, I, plugs, I... As I stumble over the end here, I know you've got a brand new podcast I'm sure you'd like to plug.
3: Follow me on Twitter, at Mike Vanderbilt, and please take a, take a listen to, uh, listen, subscribe, retweet, like, review. My new podcast, Cheap Tracks, uh, my friend and I, Chris Castaneda, a Halloweeny head, a fan of the show, who whose wife can recognize all of our laughs, uh, I'm oh, told. Wow. <laughs> um we're uh, Cheap Trick super fans, and we're going through their whole catalog, song by song. We're jumping around from era to era, and you know, giving the history of the band, some fun facts, and just uh, going completely wild. It's a good time.
0: Awesome. And how about you, Dan?
2: Man, I don't really have much. I I feel like all my plugs lately are just kind of uh I mean, you have know, losers club, of course, as always. But uh yeah, outside of that, nothing nothing to report right now. But maybe over
0: the summer. We'll see. Well, I guess you're having a child, so that I mean, might be some time. I'm having a kid, yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> it's
2: not, I was That's I was co- I was covering South Park over at A V Club, but it turns out the season's only six episodes, so I, I didn't even know I was done. Oh, I didn't I'm, even uh, know you
3: were covering that over there.
2: Yeah, just yeah. Probably my last
3: assignment. They'll just let yeah. anybody write T V reviews these days, huh? <laughs> yeah, not really.
0: <laughs> Yeah. As long as you move it to LA. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and then, uh,
2: yeah, then that, uh, I was, I was in this writer's group that just finished too. So yeah, maybe I'll have some stuff for the summer, but mostly having a kid who people have seen on Instagram has kind of a, whole, uh, in, in my view, it's not, not why we picked the name, but, uh, there, there's a little bit of a horror connection to the name so we'll, we'll, I'll show you I'll show you all later <laughs> once it happens well I know the name but I can't think of what the horror connection is am I, am I dumb oh, I I'll, I'll give you a hint I, it's a, I mean you can say it. it's public I've posted on it's a, yeah. well, it's a movie we've covered on this on this uh, podcast yeah exactly Fog. oh, oh yeah. I, thought
3: he name, I thought it was going to name was Fog <laughs> Fog <laughs> Caffrey Fog
1: Fog Caffrey
0: Fog I wonder you're oh, like wow. it's a horror connection his name's Renfield <laughs> Renfield Caffrey his,
2: <laughs> his name's Leatherface <laughs>
0: Um, <laughs> now, that's some good stuff. Well, we're um, looking forward
3: to you That kid's going to be yeah, an child. American original. That's I should right. do
2: the thing. I feel bad if there's anyone listening who's like done this, but it's it's something like theater people do a lot. It'll be like I, I've like seen this in many bios. It will be like, oh, his his latest production is a brand new baby boy. <laughs> <laughs> it's more like, he's looking
0: for the, the, his next his next blockbuster sensation. Do this summer, you know, that type of thing. Yeah. Like, okay, that's great. <laughs> Well, that's exciting Fuck. news. Mac, try to top that anyway. exciting news. Uh, yeah, well, I'm sorry, Mac. Any kids I am also, on the way, back?
1: I'm also having a child <laughs> oh, uh, <laughs> as well named Boone. <laughs> And I also finished uh writing a play uh, at a workshop. No, I'm just kidding. Uh you can follow me at Wolfman <laughs> yeah. underscore Mac underscore Gerber on Insta. Uh, I've got music at mackenziejames.bandcamp.com and the Elizabeth Dane, uh dot bandcamp.com, which is a band that Dan and I had for a while.
2: That's, that's some songs, uh, got some spooky songs i have got some spooky songs
1: on there and uh one one featured on our rental episode, uh, if you've ever heard that, if you're a fan of Halloween. <laughs> Yeah, actually, it's funny. Dan didn't want to mention it, but I'm going to say it's okay to talk about. We're actually doing a a music podcast on Third Eye Blind, and we're going track by track <laughs> to Third Eye Blind. the fuck out of
2: here. You uh, f- he like, he he actually albums. got me excited for a second. Like, yeah, out what? <laughs> I just saw Varabell do like the double take, huh? Although I follow, uh, I haven't listened to their past uh, two albums, I guess, so I'm behind. Wait, or wait, like, Dan, are you fucking with yeah. me?
1: You're, you're better for it. <laughs> you're better for it, my friend. Yeah. Actually, you know, it's (laughs) funny. The last album that they put out was Justin and I were both like, it actually isn't that bad. Then I mean, we never listen to it again. Yeah. yeah that's was right. that, that there one, that one screamer
2: things. also. I didn't even bother that, with that one. That was, I heard was good, but you know, yeah, I, uh, I didn't like dopamine uh, too much. I think I, I'd, no. I'd give that one a try. I love Her Her
1: a, Ursa Major's. Ursa Major's uh, worse. That's the, Vanderbilt's just that's marveling that
2: we all know. I'm
0: shocked by this because my, Oh yeah, this <laughs> is my guilty pleasure. It was like the first four. Third live like My love
3: kind of stops and ends with Never Let You Go. That's a great song. It's two albums worth.
0: Yeah.
1: And you know what? If well, we'll you, talk about it in another really time, for Christ's sakes. No, you can go to my you go to my reels on my Insta if you follow me, and I've got a reel on there where I explain to Dan Caffrey over the course of about 20 minutes uh, why Blue is an album about <laughs> vampires, uh, and I go I've track by track. I've heard this before,
2: yeah. It. yeah. Did fun. you save that? It's still on there? I love oh, it's
1: it. Out, it's out there. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, listen, everybody, um, please be sure to check us out. Also, I mentioned it earlier on, on patreon.com backslash Pod. We've got commentary. We've got full length episodes on non franchise horror, as well as franchise horror that we will likely not cover over the course of a full (laughs) year. So please be sure to check us out there. And hey, we will be back with more Evil Dead 2. And when that day comes, we do ask that you join join us. Join us. Join us. us. (laughs) This is the end of our show, for now. Tune in next week. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, Nightmare on Film Street, and more.